blasting from the spaceship in the sky to the simulation in the mind. Let's all embark on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. This is Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe. We are here tonight with Vince Attagliavia and Hello. the one, the only, David Whitehead, DWTruthWarrior.com. And tonight, we're, we're going to have some fun. We're going to kick back. We're going to relax. We're going to forget about what's happening in the world, the unfolding global conspiracy. And we're going to talk about another conspiracy that is occurring at least we know it's curing. We don't know really what it is, but we're going to talk about it. This is UAPs. This is UFOs. This is the alien agenda. This is everything that we can speculate upon and, and have evidence of. We're actually going to we got. I think we got a lot of content tonight for tonight as well. So cool, man. Uh, Vince, appreciate you joining us tonight. I know you got Thank a you. lot of content you prepared for this show. And yeah, my David, pleasure, David. I know you got like hard drives of content on this topic. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep it as loose as possible. I've been prepping too many big slideshows and notes, and we're just going to have some fun tonight. And Vince, Absolutely. so good to see you too, brother. And Josh, thanks yeah. for having me back. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air after the, uh, the Asperger's contest that we had the other day. <laughs> what the hell was that? That was crazy. And I don't know. Can I say a few things about this? Yeah, yeah. We can, let, let, let's, let's talk about it. Let's say a few. Kick things. into it? Okay. So for those that aren't aware... Josh and I had the stupid idea to try to bring on some flat earthers on our show and uh, try to make a rational discussion and, and try to have both sides share their views and uh, you know speak as gentlemen that care about the truth. It, that was our idea. That was what we wanted to do. And that's the whole feeling that was going into it, that that's what it was going to be. And if you go on Badlands, which you should go check out uh, and you see the debate, I think within the first 30 seconds, it already starts to turn into a dumpster fire and it never ends for three hours. So, um, but it was a very interesting thing. I, so my position is, is I, I, this is what I finished with. It's just one man's opinion, but it's what I believe. It's what I agree with. And it actually flows into the topic we really want to talk about tonight. And it comes from Giordano Bruno, where he's talking about, he's a, he's a, Dominican, it's either Dominican or Franciscan, I always mess it up, monk, in the 1600s, and he rebelled against the Catholic Church, and he started to see that there was patterns in nature, that there was sort of an infinite um, fractal aspect in nature, that there was uh, some misunderstandings about what the scriptures were saying, and he said, I believe we essentially live in a vast, infinite universe, and that there's He's like, there's thousands, if not millions of suns and planets and living beings inhabit those worlds. And all of the creation of the entire universe glorifies God, <laughs> that the glory of God happens not just from one earth and one species, but from an infinite, infinite amount. And what I saw in that in the 1600s, and he was shortly thereafter, uh, brought down to the town square. They nailed his tongue to a fence and then burnt him alive in front of everybody um, to purge his soul from evil thoughts, I guess. <laughs> uh, those were the fact checkers back in the day. <laughs> and uh, so I, I respect men like this that have just an expansive, infinite mind that the, you read some of the writings and sure, I don't agree with Giordano Bruno on everything, but that statement alone made me go look into that concept. And so that's where I come at it. And it, the reason I finished the debate with that was we had a lot of people coming from a, a very Christian or religious perspective on the whole flat earth thing. And so, and it seems to be 
the number one reason that people kind of gravitate towards it within the Christian community. And I just wanted to say, okay, fair enough. Everybody, you make up your own mind. I'm not here to tell anybody what to think. That was Nathan's job. Um, I said, we got to just, here's a different perspective that comes from somebody who rebelled against the Catholic church. Um, and look what happened. And I think it's an interesting thought. So I left that. I had more on that to try to bring it to a bigger scale, but I realized the kind of discussion we were having and it wasn't even going to get close to that kind of insight about the, uh, the hermetic principle we've spoken about the inner outer worlds, the above and below the microcosmic, the macrocosmic and how nature does things in patterns at, from scale, right? Top to bottom. Yeah. And if you start looking at the fact that you as a human being, every form of life starts out as a perfect sphere right from the zygote, right from the cell, right from uh, the egg sac that the female creates and chooses the shape of a sphere to actually grow you when the sperm meets the egg and make you into another cluster of spheres that grows in another cluster of spheres that then eventually turns into what you are. And uh, so I went, well, it just, this sphere is the most uh, efficient structure in nature. It's the feminine principle when you look into ancient symbolism. And so I kind of wanted to get into this stuff just yeah. to say, hey, don't let's just zoom out a little bit and think on this level for a moment and see that if elements of your own body actually comport with that reality of, of what could be above you and around you, then we're looking at resonance. We're looking at patterns and why would nature mess that? Why would something mess that up? It just seemed odd to me. So that was one argument. The other arguments I tried to do were just very factual. Just let's do some experiment. They're observational. I'll admit right out of the gate, uh, I'm brutal with math and and my geography isn't the best and getting out, you know, protractors and measuring arc seconds and things like that. I'm I'm a, I'm a white belt with maybe one stripe max. OK, um, and that seemed to be where they wanted to go with shouting a bunch of math math at me. And I, I just wanted to keep it as well. A lot of times when you hear these flat earth debates and I've listened to so many of them because I'm just curious about it. You'll hear the accusation that the scientific community uses too much math and cartoon models like you got yelled at for, Josh. I'd love yeah. your thoughts on and that. And they ignored it and walked away. I'm going to go get some water. They didn't, they watch didn't even watch it. And so I was like, okay, so we want to do math on a piece of paper to visualize something. That's what they're asking. But then when we bring a model that represents mathematical equations put into a cartoon, as a as the, that's not a good metaphor. That's not a good visualization of the math. Um, but you'd rather just do the raw math. Okay. But I've also heard the accusation that science created a whole new language to confuse everybody with, which I mean, in some senses, maybe, but you just have to have an understanding of it. But a lot of times they'll say, let's just go with observation. Let's go with sensation. Let's just trust your eyes and your ears and your sense. And I'm like, okay, that's a good place to start as a human being. Right. Yeah. But you start to realize, okay, first of all, Humans have really shitty night vision. Our limit of our sight is at a certain level. Uh, our eyes can deceive us because we're actually seeing with our brain. All right. The eyes just filtering the light. Um, and so actually, if the eyes are filtering the light and you're actually seeing with your brain and the image is actually reversed within your brain before the picture hits your consciousness, then that means that a lot of our reality does uh, a lot of the way we see reality is affected by what's going on in our own psyche. Okay. And that was another point. Now they're going to say, well, it's actually nature and reality itself. That is the illusion. That is the simulation. That is the, I don't know, cage or whatever. 
But I disagree with that fundamentally. We've talked about this on Unslaved for years. I go with the other, and I respect anybody that disagrees, but I go with the idea that it's not the actual reality itself that is the illusion. It's the illusion is in the mind that sees the reality. I'm right. there. That's where I'm at, you know, like it or, or not. So I threw these, I've, I didn't get a chance to get into oh, that, yeah, but I, I did ask for some observational experiments and that was where I left it. And hey, it is what it is. I'll let the people decide. Right. <laughs> Josh. Well, I, so I actually rewatched it last night. And oh, I brave, took man. a ton of notes and I'm writing a Substack in response to it. Um, you know, right when Patrick, cause you had told me that, you know, where we were going to start and kind of like we had a set plan the kind of when we talked to them, I didn't know who Nathan was coming in. I, I knew of Nathan, but I didn't know Nathan was coming in. If I knew Nathan was coming in, trust me, it would have been a completely different show. Um, but I would have taken, I would have taken in his content before because each flat earther is different. When flat earth Dave came on this show, um, I watched probably 20 hours of flat earth Dave content. I wrote down verbatim his questions that he asks. I went out there found the answers, put that, related that to my own experiences, gave it my own flavor. And it was a really good debate because basically- It was, I enjoyed listening to it. Like it wasn't hard to listen to that debate right. at all from either of you. Well, and here's the thing is there's a question in the middle of the show with Flat Earth Dave. And I said, Dave, can you agree with me that everything that you've explained and everything that I explained can both happen on a flat earth and a round earth? And he said, yeah. And I said, so neither one of those prove a flat or a globe earth, correct? He goes, yes. And I go, what's the next one? What proves it for you? Gravity. And I like gravity because I understand gravity. And when Patrick kind of shook his head and says, no, we're not going to start there. And he went right to, I'm going to ask you guys a question. And he says, this is verbatim. Do you have any evidence that the horizon is actually the curve of a presupposed spherical earth? And then I said, oh, you asking me or David? And... I kind of went into the formula because he had mentioned a formula of 1.225 miles times the square root of the height of the observer. And I'm like, I haven't he never heard it that way. And this is what they do. They change the, the, the formula over and over and over again. What that formula actually is, is, um, is basically it's the Pythagorean theorem. It's Pythagoras' theorem. That's all it is. Okay. And the interesting thing about that is when you approach that distance, when that distance gets increases and increases, he's absolutely right. It becomes exponential in the curve because actually what you're getting is a parabola, okay? But here's the thing is you're not supposed to use that formula to calculate long distances. And you can go to any scientific textbook to see this. And I knew this when he said this, and this is why I said, no. He goes, so you don't have any evidence. I said, no, I agree with you that you cannot see the curve at the horizon. The horizon's an arbitrary point. It's dependent upon the variable of my height as well. It's dependent upon atmospheric conditions. It's dependent upon many other factors. And here's the thing. And I said this and they try to tear me apart for this, but I was right. And they still don't understand why I'm right. I said 75 miles. I was, I was doing the math in my head. So I took 24,000 miles and I divided it by 360. So if the circumference of the earth is 300 or 24,900 miles, if you divide that number by 360, that number is one degree of miles, is miles per degree, right? And that number is actually 69. So I, was, I said 75, I did it in my head, sorry. It's 69. But that's the thing, they're saying, no, that's not true. You're not gonna have one degree of curvature every 69 miles. Yes, you will. 360 degrees divided by the circumference of the earth, that's what you get. And so this is what I was trying to point out is that 
And I want everybody to do this visual experiment. Imagine this is one square mile. It's a two-dimensional square, one square mile. You lay this flat on a table, okay? There's no curvature on it. But what they said, remember when he said it was one square mile of curvature has eight inches of arc? Take eight yeah. inches of arc over one square mile. Imagine that for a minute. Take a square piece, two-dimensional square piece, and put eight inches of curve in it. It's negligible. You don't notice that. Your eyes can't pick that up. They're not strong enough to sense that. Now, if you take the average height of a person six foot, right? And so you, you calculate six foot, it's about 5.21 miles at the horizon. 5.21 miles, 5.21 square miles is about 40 inches of curve. It's a little over two feet. But that curve is distributed among that square. It's negligible. You can't see it. But as something approaches the edge of that distance that you can visually see, it's going to begin to disappear. The reason is, is because that two feet is now becoming relevant. And this is why ships and objects disappear over the horizon bottom up. This is why we can calculate where the ship is from the mass on the top, but you can't see the bottom. But if we zoom in, right? We're, we're talking, I mean, even at five miles, we're talking about a negligible curve. It's only two feet. This is why you can zoom in with a Nikon, you know, 9200, whatever they are, and see the whole ship. And this is what I was trying to say to them, but they just kept on attacking me and attacking me and attacking me and attacking me. And I'm just like, I got to the point where I'm like, let's just change the fucking topic. I'm done discussing this. I'm agreeing with you and telling you why I agree with you. And you're, you're denying me that. Okay. You just, and then said, so we disagree to disagree. Tell me about gravity. They told me it was density. I asked Nathan to define air. And he said it was a homogeneous, anzeotropic mixture of gases. But he's trying to tell me that density basically is why things fall down. So how do you have a homogeneous, anzeotropic mixture of gases? Carbon dioxide, nitrogen, oxygen, water, vapor, argon, all different densities floating together on the ground. They should be in substrates, like if you took water and oil density they should all fall down and start collapsing on top of each other which means that we wouldn't have air and he knew exactly where i was going with this and this is why he goes i already defined it homogeneous and he kept on repeating that and he said and then there's gaps and i said well what are the gaps and he says you're not listening and then i said yeah and i did and he goes one two and starts having an asperger's stroke on um he must be vaccinated but anyways the problem that I saw was that Nathan is um, a narcissist. I'll say it. I'll give a fuck. The dude's a narcissist. He has Asperger's and he's not very intelligent. He can repeat big words, but he doesn't understand big concepts, in my opinion. I think he has a little bit of understanding of these things, but not conceptually in the sense of how they're actually applied on a scientific principle. In the sense of saying density is gravity, that is probably the dumbest thing in the world because... What is density? It's mass and volume. What is mass, right? Mass is the, the objects, the, the electromagnetic forces coming together on the quantum level. And I could have kept on going with that and they would have just dug themselves a hole more and more and more because eventually you have to say that there's something happening there. Now he was talking about um, Riemann uh, geometry versus uh, Euclidean geometry, three-dimensional and four-dimensional geometry. And he was actually right on his supposition that Einstein had a problem with fourth-dimensional geometry and third-dimensional geometry and marrying the two. And he's absolutely right. That has now been resolved by the study of black holes in the general theory of relativity. But I don't believe in the space-time general relativity theory. 
I think that what space-time actually is, is what the physicists from the 19th century called the ether, what the old occultists and esotericists called the ether. It's a superluminal, superluminal uh, medium of propagation of things interacting with it. And I believe that gravity is the displacement of that field and how that field place, pushes back against any object that displaces it in the sense of resonance and frequency. It's a long story, but they don't want to go into that discussion. They assume, and this is the problem, David, they assume you and I have the globe earth model and we fit in the globe earth model. And that's all we're going to talk about. And then you notice how they kept on saying, we don't have a model. If you don't have a model, why are we having this discussion? And how do you know that the earth is flat? You can't bring that determination that the earth is flat simply because you're trying to disprove the globe earth. The earth could be a fucking, you know, uh, an oval, an egg. It could be, it could be anything, but you can't say that it's flat if you have no model. And then his whole perspective of, of experimentation is you can't do an experiment and an observation. You're like, well, the first point is observation. He goes, no, yeah, you no. a problem with the words I was using. Yeah. Like observation I'm like, of phenomena. What the fuck do you think yeah. observation is? You're I know. I asked the audience. Phenomena. I'm like, do you guys know what I mean? Like, okay, I might not be giving you the literal Wikipedia regurgitation of the definition, mm -hmm. but like making an observation to me implies that we're observing something, meaning we're observing a phenomena. Do I have to say that in a sentence for it to be? So that became the problem is like, anytime you start, and this is a strategy. Okay. And I know as I sat and I thought about it, I went, this is a strategy and Hey, good, good whatever. If you're coming to war, I was expecting a nice friendly chat. I guess not. Um, you come in and you, you just keep harping on how you're fighting. This is what happens even sometimes in like bad relationships mm -hmm. where you fight about how you're fighting. You fight about semantics. Nothing gets resolved because some either both of you or one of you is blocking the conversation from getting to the root of the problem or getting to the focus at hand. Right. And that's the issue. And that's, I felt like I'm, I thought I was arguing with my ex-girlfriend, man, for a long time there. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, you're making so many good points. And then when, it was a buddy of yours jumped in the chat and was talking about the arc that he was missing the arc. Cause we had, they kept moving the conversation and attacking other points. So we kept having, we made the mistake of trying to address them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, no, we should have just brought it right back. And yeah. every point, like we have to clear this up before we move arc, like the arc, there's something where they're saying there's 6,000 feet of curvature missing on this Russian frozen Lake. If it was like this. And I'm like, wait a minute. And you were just describing it. Like even with the bridge that I brought up or the the causeway, yeah. um, they're going to say, well, why is that the only place we see curvature? And we don't see curvature on a longer lake or whatever. But you, yeah, but if you look at that longer lake, first of all, we've got to do light refraction. But there's no object on the lake to reference. balance out the view to really show like what you said. There's no visual to reference. So the, the, the perspective comes in. But when now you have a big causeway that's like miles and miles and miles long with these big giant towers sticking up that you have a reference frame when you're looking at this massive lake now you can see plus you have light refraction now that doesn't mean it's illusion and there is nothing to see it just means there's so many things you got to dig up and get into to explain how vision works how light refraction works how the arcs work and how the visual aids work right well is that sound about right like what is it, that what you're does. trying to explain you're absolutely and i actually when we were describing one part of that of the of the bridge 
Patrick was yelling at me, telling me that uh, the the moisture, the gases, the clouds, all these things produce um, visual deterrence. You can't see past these things. And he started talking about a cloud. I go, a cloud's a large conglomerate condensation, concentration of, of water. But when we're talking about things on the atmosphere, we're talking about various different gases that make up the atmospheric pressure, barometric pressure, these different types of things. And he goes, yeah, but they 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 impede the vision. All of them do. And I said, no, they don't. I said, take a glass of water. Look through it. Can you, does it magnify the object behind it? He goes, well, that's lensing. I go, you're telling me that doesn't happen? Yet? He goes, okay, well, yeah, it does. So he completely contradicted himself right there. And he proved exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying. And I was saying that the, what was actually happening with that bridge was lensing of the curve that was coming forward, but they're never going to admit it. And that was the problem. So I, you know, wow. well, and, and then yeah. there was the other thing too. Um, I was listening to a physicist in a debate. Uh, he's a gent from Australia. He's a really nice guy. You can see he's genuinely trying with these people to be like, like he's trying to get a conversation going and he pins them down on the term degree. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like, why? Cause this was figured out. I can't remember the name of the Greek guy that figured this out like thousands of years ago, Bef- they, they figured out the measurement based off of not Aristosthenes, but even before that, apparently there was another guy. And he calculated the curvature of the earth very closely before Eratosthenes did. And he showed how he did it. And he utilized with the longitude, latitude and all that, he utilized the degree, the word degree. So the the professor was asking this guy, he's like, why use the word degree? Because a degree is basically a unit here. I'm reading it now. A unit or measurement of angles, one three hundredth and 60th of the circumference of a circle so you can't have a flat plate you have to have it only works on a sphere to use that denomination of a degree mm-hmm. because the degree is assuming that there's a circumference a three-dimensional circumference right this was what he was saying i'm no expert but right. i was like that's an interesting point is even the words that we use that we've used for thousands of years um and then i also had i also had um some stuff on the first guys in India, in ancient India, 3,800 years ago, that calculated it independently of the Greeks and did the same thing and found out not only was it a sphere, but they were heliocentrists. It's part of the reason they became Mm -hmm. a lot of the sun worshipers and all that that came out of there, right? So I'm just showing that like, why I want, that's why I wanted to establish the motive. Why for thousands of years, would there be this particular conspiracy? Why? What's the motive behind this? Because whoever's really running the show here can control shit regardless of the shape of the place they're trying to control. Like, I would have loved to have that conversation to find out, like, why do you think this is the be all and end all? Well, you know, here, here's an interesting point as well um, that many people don't know. And this is one thing I wanted to ask both him and Patrick, Nathan and Patrick, um, was about the Great Pyramid. Because obviously everybody who believes, because uh, they say the stars don't move, and they're completely wrong on that. There's stellar drift, and the, the Great Pyramids of Egypt, of Giza, by the way, are no longer aligned to the Orion constellation, and the King and Queen Changer shafts are no longer aligned to Sirius and the other star. Okay, please, please understand that. The reason we know they were built 10,500 years ago is because that's when they last aligned to those constellations. But the interesting thing is, is if you use that that variable of 42,500 discovered um, in the pyramid itself, in the height of the pyramid, and this comes from um, uh, Randall Carlson, is that if you take the base of the Great Pyramid, it's different. 
there's two sides that are equal and another two sides that are equal and they didn't know why. The reason is, is because when you multiply them with that 43,200, you get the equatorial radius of the earth and then you get the polar radius of the earth. This hmm. is a 10,500 year old object on the planet. And that's kind of where I was going to go is like, hey, how old do you think the pyramids are? And once they said that, well, then you got them. Because why, why would the Egyptians put the equatorial radius and the polar radius both in the Great Pyramid in the mapping of that actual monument? They yeah, would, man. and we know what they would say, right? They would say, still doesn't have any relevance, doesn't mean maybe we misinterpreted, maybe it's a coincidence. Like you can, it's like the way science tries to deny a lot of this, right? Um, but it's still like, I know what you're talking about 100%. There's many monuments that are like all these major monuments, Stonehenge, all these things are built off of the observation of the sky. The observation of the sky is what actually birthed a lot of religious concepts, even though people of various religions won't ever admit it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a fact that the first place that man looked up to was the sky. And um, I think that what happened is that because I we probably got hit with a few asteroids, there's a whole thing on catastrophism. Either way, there's stories in both the, um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the ancient texts from all over that talk about mass destruction that took place mm -hmm. and so the my thing is is we don't calculate that into any of this discussion because i think the real elephant in the living room here is that humanity is traumatized by something on a deep uh genetic cellular level there's a genetic memory of deep trauma could just be a compound of all the shit wars and all that stuff we've been through through the ages but there's definitely um some interesting stuff coming out of the world of catastrophism especially new discoveries that are verifying that yeah we've We've had entire continents moved. We've had all kinds of stuff, maybe asteroids hitting, things like that. And so if ma imagine before that, humans looking up to the sky and looking at it as literally heaven. Mm -hmm. Literally, the word heaven is talking about something that is heaved up, right? And they would study that and they would make relationships to the earth. And the whole point of religion was to bring heaven to earth, okay? But then cataclysm came. The fallen sun, the fallen star, the fallen this, the fallen that. You hear it everywhere. Something changed that. And I think at that point, humans were traumatized from that and thought that nature or the gods were angry or were uh, displeased or whatever. And that was traumatic for the human psyche. And so there was a long period of time where we didn't observe the heavens as much as we used to. And um, it might have built a bit of an antipathy to nature in the natural world, which then bore a lot of concepts like the simulation theory concept. That's not new at all. It all goes all the way back to the ancient Gnostics, right? So yeah. some elements there to bring in. But really quickly, I was like, let's go with, let's talk to the average Joe here. Because in this study of physics and all that, I am an average Joe. Um, and so I'm like, I just want to go with what I've personally seen. Because this is what you hear from people that push this theory is trust what you see and what you feel. Right. And so I have. And when I do the same observations that many of them talk about, I don't get the same results that they do. And then you start using equipment and you realize this is why I kept trying to ask it. I don't even know if it got through, but I was trying to go, are we permitted to use equipment? Like, because I've heard flat earthers argue you can't even use a camera because like NASA could hack it or it's just an illusion or it's something mm -hmm. and you can't can't trust it. You trust God given eyes and that's it. But, but they can. But, but they well, can. This, but this is 
this is why I wanted to find out what version of flat earth are we dealing with? Cause there's actually many different sects that are all disagreeing with each other already. So, um, I went, all right, so we're dealing with, so, and I said, can I use instrumentation? Can I use any instrumentation like a camera or a telescope to aid in this process? And of course they had to say yes. Cause we were already past the point where they were saying, we've got all these videos of them bringing the ships back when they zoom in. And so I'm like, okay, so I can use a camera. Cause when I use a camera, if I get a camera with a good zoom lens and I put a solar filter on it and all the solar filter does, it's not, I didn't email NASA and say, send me your solar filter. And then I put it on and it's like giving me a total, like three dimensional hologram. It's just a solar filter you can buy for 10 bucks and you put it on. Cause all the, obviously if you're looking directly at the sun, you should never do that shit. You're going to go blind. So you put a solar filter on it and you have it zoomed in and you can either get an equatorial mount or you can actually do the work of following it the entire day for multiple days and you watch it set zoomed in, right? You'll see that the angular size, and this is what I missed, but this is what I meant. The angular size of the sun based on the observer, like in relation to the observer, okay, does not change throughout the day. It would have to if it was we're working on a flat earth and getting further the close away. sun that has to go like, cause think about it. Like they kept saying, I, I made no such claim. I made no such claim. I'm like, well, but we're talking about the model. Like your model has to work in one way. We don't have a model. And then I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. so what about the concept? Like, how does your sun work? And they, why wouldn't they answer it? Did they answer it? I'm like, can you tell me how the sun works? Should have been I don't like, know. Oh, so you, you claim no model. So you're not a flat earther then. That's what I was also saying. <laughs> but even Jaronism and all the top guys will say, yep, we don't have a model. We just huh. have critiques for your model. That's 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 the end of that. That's what they well, are. There's like, and I'm know, like, okay. We but, were trying to argue the point of experimentation, doing experiments, and they we had to change it to test, right? And we had a bunch Patrick, of tests. We, yeah, but yeah. even Patrick was arguing this, and Patrick says, I've watched hundreds of them online, and I said, Patrick, aren't we in the age of information warfare? Aren't you not supposed to believe what you see that's coming? And he goes, well, well, yeah, you're kind of right. Well, what experiences have you done? He goes, none. I, I mean... The, the absurdity of that level of logic. Like, you and I, we can't go out there and test this because they've already done the experimentation because he watched hundreds of videos. But they yeah, don't want to go out and do the tests argument. themselves. Yeah, and I'm just sitting there going, this is, this, that's why I'm like, I gotta go. This conversation's fucking over. Like, I was done yeah. right there when they were like, we don't want to do experiments. We've already well, seen videos. And I'm like, I'm glad you guys sat down and did that, though. Yeah. I, I'll say this. I did get a few new ideas that I hadn't had go through my skull yet. So I appreciate that from that. But I do think it's a shame that you, they had a conversation so focused on semantics of language that mm -hmm. is a tactic to obviously, like David said, fight a war with words instead of having a conversation and helping each other through it. That was ridiculous. Um, it was extremely entertaining, and uh, I I'm hope glad. you get that. I hope you get that. Are you not entertained? <laughs> it was Stop great. interrupting me. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Six. After he just fucking interrupts you, he would literally kind of... interrupt you, and then you'd be like, well, hold on. And he'd be like, don't interrupt me. He, he reminded me of like a fucking uh, 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 a Asperger's version of Data from Star Trek, right? <laughs> It became a psychological evaluation for me as well during it. Yeah. I'm just like, dang. Yeah. His face and energy test says it all. Like he, he almost had like a, I don't know. I don't want to get into the people. Look, I know. Yeah. Hey, people out there. Listen, 
you here here's what i was trying to say at the end i don't know if it came across because i was like so it was crazy but i was like regardless of what you think the shape of the earth is let's unite the clans around dealing with the presence of evil tyranny and corruption on this planet right now like regardless of the shape and if by the time we route all this deep state and all these illuminati groups and all these people out and these corrupt people mafias uh, if if we route them out and then we get access to the archives that have been hidden from humanity and we find out that the earth is shaped like i don't know something else or there's a totally different dimension of reality we don't understand great but if we're going to tear each other to bits and hyper focus on this point i'm going to need you to give me the motive to tell me why we should focus on that point um and and then when people start saying stuff like space is fake and it's all this I start to ask them why, and when you actually ask somebody, they will tell you, and I've, I've just seen it, unless somebody has a better answer, they will always tell you that the real conspiracy is to hide God mm -hmm. and to hide the truth of the Bible, because they say there's 300 plus scripture verses that say the Bible says the earth is flat. And I, so that's why I brought up a friend of mine who has a website, he has a book, and he he's a Christian, and he goes through all the texts, and he says, hey... Uh, this is not what it says at all. You're misinterpreting it, right? Because it's also relating to different things than the earth with the same language. So therefore, they're using metaphorical poetry language to describe concepts. They're not defining a scientific analysis of the earth at all. That's not what the point of it is. Um, and so it was just a different perspective. And I'm kind of like trying to find common ground because we're all getting torn apart here in our community, which was... I would say fairly united on many key points around to 2012, 2013. And then when this came in and when supervisor, I remember watching this happen. Uh, it just, it, we have the, the, we haven't recovered from it since. Yeah. And it's really torn a hole in this. And the problem is then when I go and I start talking about the COVID vaccine issues that are all just coming right out, we got Twitter files dropping with all this stuff coming out, you know, the mainstream and the normies are going to say, oh, you're probably one of those flat earther, blah, blah, blah. And you start getting brought into a big basket where you say, I have to believe all of these tenants. And you start to get the pressure from the people in your chats and on your videos. They're not just trying to say, hey, I have a question or I disagree. Here's how I see it. Or maybe research this. It's a direct assault trying to force convert you to the way they see things. And you start to cult. realize that. It's that's cult shit to me. That's that's defending dogma, the emotionality of it, the whole thing. That's why, in a way, I sit back and uh, these guys will probably walk away and think, oh, we totally got it because they shouted a lot. I just had to sit back and say, let's roll the cameras, ask a few questions and then just let them be themselves. And the 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 energy of their psyche is going to prove everything really at the end of the day. And that's honestly how I feel. And I've I've felt that because that's pretty much how all these debates go. And you start to wonder why, and you get the same reaction when you challenge a Jehovah's Witness that comes to your door, or uh, somebody, a Karen with two masks on their face, or uh, all these kinds of things, right? And even though I know all of us are going to defend our positions, I believe that if you're a truly intelligent person, you can still hold your cherished opinions and have a rational discussion with somebody that disagrees with you, and you can still shake hands afterwards and say, we are allowed to disagree with each other. I'm not going to call you an Illuminati Jesuit shill or whatever because you disagree. I'm just going to say we disagree and that's okay. But we agree on the fundamental principles of freedom and the pursuit of truth. 
And that's all that matters, right? At the end of the day. And that's what I was trying to get. And I don't feel like I got it. No. But that was honestly my intention, you know? That, that was my intention too. And I didn't want to, I even said before the show, I said, look, I don't want this to be an argumentation. I don't want to go back and forth. I don't want aggression. I don't want to be hostile. I just want to have a discussion. Let's just talk. Let's exchange ideas. And they immediately, right from the beginning, just, you could see it right in Nathan. He was just like ready to kill, ready to kill. But anyway. He was like that before the show started, yeah. man. He came on. And right away started digging into me on stuff. And like, we were actually arguing. So people know we were arguing right up until the moment that I pressed go live. And then basically I just, it just went right back into it. So yeah. they came on with a very, I mean, not as much Patrick. I think in the beginning he was trying to keep the peace and I would have preferred to just do it with Patrick. I think he would have been a lot, a lot more reasonable. Um, but anyways, look, they everybody don't like the challenging of their own beliefs. Hey, and fine. Just be what you want to be. Can we unite and stop the Great Reset? Let's just do that and then work from there, okay? Well, f first, before we get there, you know, you, you mentioned, it, it, there's actually some topics I wanted to touch on. We can touch on those later. It was yeah, actually sure, about go. the cataclysm aspect that we were talking about. But um, right now, I guess Congress, this new Congress is looking into this whole UFO UAP thing. Now, there's some interesting articles that just came out. I had one um, right here somewhere in this this conglomeration of, of articles that I have here amongst Flat Earth is, Did Aliens Land on Earth in 1945? A Defense Bill Seeks Answers. This is the amendment tucked into the year's $858 billion National Defense Authorization Act, which funds the Department of Defense's annual operating budget, requires the department review of historical documents related to unidentified aerial phenomena, government lingo for UFOs dating to 1945. That is the year that, according to one account, a large avocado-shaped object struck a communications tower in a patch of New Mexico desert, now known as Trinity Site, where the world's first atomic bomb was detonated that July. So they're actually asking for all the documentation. Congress is asking for all the documentation on this specific event. This is, this is fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, and there's so much to that. I'm looking at a, another article from uh, usnews.com. And it's, I think it's talking about the same report. It's an intelligent intelligence office overseeing UFO investigations has done little to quell growing calls for greater transparency into the government's handling of what it calls unidentified aerial phenomena or UAPs. Several members, several senior members of Congress, including those responsible for ordering the review, almost immediately criticized the dearth of details in the 2022 annual report released Thursday afternoon by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. The second such document since the government began to acknowledge publicly its analysis of UFO sightings reported largely by military pilots. So, I have a good, uh, everybody may, if they're into UFOs, I'm sure some people, you know, of Richard Dolan, his mm -hmm. research. Um, I like him because uh, I feel like he's an honest researcher and I've known, I've also, I know him. I know him personally. Uh, I've traveled across Canada multiple times with him. I've worked with him. I, I've talked with him and um, he's just, he's, that's all he does on his YouTube channel. If you go look up Richard Dolan on YouTube and you sub his channel. He's doing live streams all the time, just breaking all this stuff down. Okay. Um, and he has a different sort of theory on what's happening with this government disclosure project Ooh. than a lot of ufologists, a lot of ufologists and a lot of people who are just passively looking at the subject, um, think that this is, op this is project Bluebeam. 
This is uh, about setting up the fake alien invasion. It's about, you know, if you come from the religious perspective, a lot of people think this is about bringing in the antichrist and the illusion and all that. And that's a very popular trope. Okay. But Richard is of the opinion, and he brings a lot of just incredible detail and research to back it up, that there's actually a legitimate effort in the military and in the intelligence community, not the government. That's the battle. They're battling the government. But in the military and in the intelligence community, there are legitimate white hats that are trying to bring out what they know has been hidden and what is known on this planet by governments around the world, specifically the U.S. government, about the UFO phenomena. It's been for 70 years they've been hiding it. So he believes that there's a war happening. So it's like, and this is how I kind of look at it too, is there has been research on this from every corner of the planet for decades, if not thousands of years. You can go back to the Romans who saw flaming shields in the sky or whatever. But let's just look at modern UFOlogy, right? Um, there, The amount of information and documented mass sightings and the whole thing is there. The question has always been, what are they? Are they um, Nazi UFOs that were under the, the Project Bell program in Germany? Is that what that is? Um, is it... Uh, some kind of inner earth colony that has always been here that knows how to time travel. And that's what we're seeing as time travelers. Is it all atmospheric whatevers and gas, swamp gas? Um, is it just military technology they don't want us to know about? Like whatever. Uh, when I asked Richard about this to, to define it, he said there are many sightings that could easily be chalked up to actually most sightings are misidentified things. The next batch of sightings are most certainly uh, military technology. Some of it is actually known. It's just that the public doesn't like research and keep up to date with it. So they don't know what the military is really working on. And then some of it even still is stuff that's classified, right? But he said, then there's the category of stories that are documented even in the Canadian National Archive in Canada and also elsewhere. Because that's where he goes is he goes to like the guys who are geodetic surveyors that are out there doing survey or the guys that are out doing uh, you know, they're mapping the Arctic or they're trying to map K2, like those those guys that are like pilots and they're very, very smart people. They go out on these missions to try to do this work for research purposes and they come back with just the most incredible stories of stuff that just no sound appears directly overhead. They look up, it's the size of like something they've never seen before and then it just floats by and then zips off at a speed that's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And this is stuff from the 50s and 60s. And on and on we go. So you start to wonder if there's any truth to it at all that some of these are inexplicable. Then there must be people in the military intelligence that have known about this. And how long do you think they want to hold this secret back? Because I think many of them wanted to hold the secret back because they legitimately thought that this information would melt everybody down and it would cause mass chaos. That was their, it was in their reports, right? And yet over time, even on some of their deathbeds, many of these top intelligence officers um, and even people who were experiencers came out and blew the whistle on everything before they passed. And then that now started to get confirmed by people that are still in the military and the intelligence programs that are up against the deep state. So you, you're like, you're in the place, you've got the data, you know what's going on, you've seen it for yourself. You, you don't, where are you gonna go? Everybody's gonna call you crazy. You've got a whole 
firewall trying to hold that in. And so what do those guys do? Well, maybe they align together and they also find people in other countries that feel the same way at high levels that have classified information from Russia, from China, from India, anywhere. And you compare notes and you start a campaign to slowly drip it out to the public at a faster rate than can be squashed by the media and the deep state. Mm. So that's the theory. So if this, the question is, is this particular come, thing going to come to anything? I don't know. But be careful to jump to the conclusion that everything to do with UFO leaks has to do with some Project Bluebeam. Right. And I actually did a whole show with Richard on Project Bluebeam. He thinks that a lot of people jumped to the conclusions on it. Okay. But anyways, even if there was, what if there's also another faction that's trying to get the truth about the subject out? Because the government, if they ever did release it, they would want to release it in a way where they got to frame the entire narrative and control the narrative. So even if you get any truth about it, you're never going to get the whole story. But there's other guys working behind the scenes, even in private companies, Lockheed Martin, et cetera, that, have, that know what's going on that want the truth out yeah and so there's a war then that's what we're seeing there's a war like with every other subject going on about this subject it's not just one monolithic faction controlling the whole thing anymore uh, okay i want to touch on this real quick because firstly project blue uh project blue beam for anybody out there who doesn't know this this came about from a woman by the name of carol rosen <clears throat> she was the secretary that was at the deathbed of Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi who came over through Operation Paperclip. He was the man who invented the V-2 rockets. He's the man who basically created NASA for the United States of America when he came over from Nazi Germany to the United States of America. He's the man who basically put us on the moon through his technology. Um, and on his deathbed to Carol, he told her of this coming war that was going to happen, of how UFOs will show up in the sky. And there will be a war with them. But these UFOs will not be aliens from another planet. They will be basically the deep state. They will be the military trying to scare us to unify the world into a new world order. Um, my first part of this is that when I've seen, um, I think her name's Carol Rosen. I've seen, when I've seen her talk about this, she's very passionate and very truthful. But the question I have is, Werner von Braun was a fucking Nazi. I... I, I does this guy not like come over here and maybe try to manipulate and infiltrate and maybe even control the narrative and information warfare? So when he's saying this, maybe what he's really trying to do is produce a counter movement to the actual ETs that were coming here. That if we start thinking that the ETs actually coming here are instead the deep state, the bad guys who are trying to push into a new world order, we will fight against them. We'll be aggressive against them. And so we have to think about this from psychological warfare perspective as well. I, I, at least that's how I look at it, is that, you know, Werner von Braun, why are we assuming that this guy is a good guy? Or that he knows everything. Right. Okay, like this is what, I think what happens is like over time, people find a subject they've never heard about before and they, they look into it and they find, oh my God, there's actually a legitimate discussion about this. And they watch like Stephen Greer's 2001 um, press conference with all that's where Rosen came out and told the story the first time that then strikes people a certain way as if it's now the new 10 commandments right. that what she was told secondhand by a dying old Nazi who could have just been a scientist who was everybody was sort of forced to be in part of the Reich. He might have even there's another narrative out there that maybe Werner von Braun wasn't a bad 
guy. He was just like all Germans at that time of his caliber brought in and you literally are like, you will serve the Reich or if you kill your family. And so they serve him. And then maybe he looked at it as I want to come to America and be free of this shit. Like he might have been uh, there were many of those kinds of Nazis. Uh, just look up the story of Bruno Day, who actually was convicted like five years ago or so. Uh, for 5,000 counts of crimes against humanity, even though he was against the Nazis, he was forcibly brought into the regiment. and But just literally he was charged under the Nuremberg laws because he didn't do anything about the crimes against humanity that he was witnessing. That's the reason they charged him. He wasn't charged because he was participating or he agreed with it. So I just want to bring that other perspective in too. And I don't, I don't, I'm not even settled. I don't even know. Yeah. I think one guy telling a story in his deathbed is compelling, but that's one source. And yet that is literally the gospel within much of the UFO community is anything that was said at that Stephen Greer conference. Now there was a lot of good stuff that came out of that conference. Interestingly enough, 9-11 happened shortly thereafter and the world totally forgot about that whole conversation. Yep. Um, I'm not saying that was the, the reason I just thought that's interesting. And then now you have other insiders that have come out. We have the Wilson memos that have come out, uh, which there's Admiral, hours and hours Admiral and hours Wilson. covering the Wilson memos. Yeah. Sorry. Admiral Wilson. Yeah. Admiral Wilson. Yeah. Admiral Wilson. We have many, many, many other insiders from America, let alone trusting old dead Nazis, yeah. um, or collaborators or whatever. We got American patriots who are dying saying these things. Why aren't we listening to them and choosing to go with this narrative? I think it's because I'm just going to say this, man, and you let me know what you think. I've looked at this subject probably longer than, well, I've looked at religion, mythology longer, but ufology was always just a pet interest of mine. I just, I was fascinated by it. I'm, I'm curious about it. And I've seen it morph and change. And um, I think that this subject is ridiculed more than many other subjects and I, it's ridiculed from a lot of a lot of angles because i think it's literally the most uncomfortable subject for people i think there's a reason people find the theory that fits their their feeling because there's a lot of anxiety to the to humans feeling like there might be something above them in terms of the apex predator line okay we feel and we should we're we're genetically programmed to feel this way as part of being a human being that we're the top of the food chain on this planet and that we've 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 tamed nature and we control this place this is our home this is who we are okay and so to think that there is something above us in the food chain meaning a civilization that might also be human okay by the way there's another theory we could throw at you it might not be what hollywood's throwing you but that might just be farther along the curve even just in terms of intelligence knowledge and uh science and all that understood and developed and mastered okay so mm -hmm. civilizations that let's just say even if you found one that was only a couple hundred years ahead of us okay it'd be like us going to the tribes living in papua new guinea who still worship airplanes that fly overhead right it'd be the same thing just with a couple hundred years in advance of technology of where we are let alone maybe 500 years or 800 or a thousand or ten thousand or off off we go right so for us to think like that and then realize there's something flying around in our skies with impunity, whatever it is, that's inexplicable. And it's the one word that I don't care if you speak other languages, you can go to Latin America, you can go to China, you can go anywhere in the world and bring up UFOs and everybody knows what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's that ubiquitous. It's that, you know, fascinating. So to wrap it up, I think 
even though we're fascinated with it, we want it to be Hollywood. We, that's why the movies do so well, because we we're so drawn to this subject for some reason as humans. And so we're fascinated with it in a in a in a right brain sense. The right brain, the creative side is like, yeah, it's fascinating. But if I start bringing data, documents, whistleblower testimony, evidence, videos, eyewitness testimonies, mass eyewitness testimonies, which destroy the whole, it's just psychological DMT trips, um, then all of a sudden I'm bringing that fun little fantasy of like the Marvel Avengers version of the subject over to the left brain now where you're logically sitting there going, holy shit, what are the implications for my reality now? Right. And if you have any attachment to most of the myths, dogmas, and stories that humans tell themselves, it's going to shatter that paradigm, man. You're going to have to think about everything differently. And that's why it's difficult. And I don't blame us. I don't blame us poor humans for having this problem. But my question is, is that a blind spot? Is our emotionality about it, our fear of it, our misunderstanding of it, our desire to not know about it, whether it's true or not, and to make up something to defend and put camouflage in front of it, is that a psychological reaction to the fact that this subject terrifies all of us? Because what did Arthur C. Clarke say? He said, there's two possibilities that exist. Either we're alone in the universe or we're not. And both are equally terrifying. 100%. So there it is. Love it. Vince, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I feel like there's something there just based off my personal experiences. I think I've experienced a UFO one time in my life. And... Mm. Um, uh, it was. I'll tell you guys the story. I don't think I've ever told you. Sure. I was, yeah, tell me. I was uh, this time. backpacking. I was backpacking in California in the high desert, and I go up to the top of this mountain. I think it's like four mile hike, whatever, with a few buddies, and um, we set up camp. And it's getting late, so we walk out to the front of this mountain, looking south, and we're just sitting there. And there's this big, huge, uh, like great that we stood on top of like i don't know like a man-made cement structure with a grate mm -hmm. on top of it so we all sat on top of this and we're looking out and we see this light just in front of us in the sky and it's very bright and large like it's a plane shining a light directly on us almost from the distance like pretty far and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until finally we're like are you guys seeing this right here we're like what the fuck it's getting closer it's getting bigger this is crazy and it, it was the flatter of sun vince <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it came at me like the flattered sun I couldn't and resist. It, it came right over us and then it just went out of view and it didn't have any sound or anything and we made that that observation while we were there and it just blew my mind and we just carried on with our night and sat around the fire and bullshitted but totally blew my mind i might have seen another one though and this trips me out look I'll have a question for you guys after this, but in 2019, it might've been 2020. Um, I I'm in Washington state and I saw like, I think it was three or four lights just going across the sky. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what the hell is that UFO? Oh my goodness. And I got on Twitter and I'm like, what's going on? I start looking it up and, and everyone's like, Oh, it's Starlink. It's mm. just Starlink. Don't worry about it. And it's like, they're not equally spaced. It's weird. I've never seen anything like it. And it's just going, all three of the objects, or four, I don't remember, are going the same speed across the sky. And so I go to the Starlink map, and I try to verify that these are the Starlink satellites, and I couldn't verify it. So I want to challenge you guys, David, Josh, and everyone listening. Can you verify that these sightings are indeed Starlink satellites? Because I can't. So 
I want to touch on this because at, I remember when this happened. It was seven objects in the sky. You're you're freaking out about it. You're like, what is this? What is this? I remember you were posting about it. I had a TikTok at the time, okay? And so many people were coming out and they were seeing it all over the country. We saw it in Colorado, okay? And sorry, just this is 2019? Maybe or 2020, do you remember? 2020. Like it's pretty, pretty recent though. Okay, it was 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was it was about a week after Starlink, a few weeks after Starlink was started launching, okay? And people are like, oh, it's just Starlink. And everything is like, oh, you can check it on the Starlink tracker. It's just Starlink. Here's the problem, is we haven't seen them since. There are more videos out there. I haven't seen them since. And I haven't sending seen, satellites I, up all the time. I'm someone who watches the skies on a nightly basis, okay? If I go outside, my head is that way. I cannot look straight or down. I'm always up. I look for these things. I can't find them. That's the same year. It is actually about a week later, the next weekend, that I was in my backyard and I got like a really high-powered laser. And I'm out in my backyard and I'm sitting down and I'm just pop, 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 just doing pulses in the air. And I'm watching and I already saw like two kind of like satellite type UFOs go by. And um, all of a sudden I see this flash of light, boom, and it stops. Boom, stops, and then starts moving slow. Right where I was pointing my laser. So I just keep on pointing my laser there. And another one comes in. Boom. And I'm recording this on my phone. Are these the same size as, like, the satellites we see? Yeah, that this just is, like, like stars? you can tell this is in space. It's the same size as the satellites. But you see, like, a flash coming from, like, a distance in the night sky, right? You see, like, dim light getting brighter, brighter, brighter. And it stops and then starts moving really slow. And so it was kind of like, for me, it looked like they were coming out of light speed and then moving real slow. There were seven of them. I got five of them on camera on the video. Okay? Yeah, it's do actually- satellites, like, accelerate like that? No. And so exactly. have you ever seen these lights are, like, moving through the sky and all of a sudden they'll just dissipate? That's them moving away from the Earth this way. That's yeah, I've seen those. Right. And that's not a satellite. Satellites don't do that. So, like, I've been trying to figure this stuff out, what those lights were that Vince saw. And they were being seen all over the country. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped. And I, like, you go out there. And apparently, you can see them. But, you know, you got to be out there at the right time spot. I have never uh, seen them since that point in time. And people were seeing them all over the time. It was the same time that this uh, this video right here was captured. This was actually Vince. This was a week before this actually yes, happened. It was. So yes, this it was. will so give us this. Yeah, so I'm going to guys give me one second. I'm going to go into here. I'm going to switch to this frame, okay? And now I'm going to share screen so everybody there can see this. And we're going to play this video real quick. Okay, hold on. Oop. Whoa! I thought you were- What the heck is- Oh, hold on, hold on. There we go. It's not showing up. Hold on, guys. For everybody up, I just- (laughs) Fuck. Hold on a second. Oh, that's what I wanted to do. There it is. Boom. Okay. Okay, there's the video. Sorry. So here's the video. Whoa! I thought you were- What the heck is that? I thought you were pulling my leg. Dude, that's like a comet or something. Oh my gosh. It's a comet. That's a comet. It's shooting stars. So many. Wow. Look, I've never seen shooting stars, Andy. Never seen a shooting star in my life. I need you to text me your video because it's better than mine, I bet. Shooting stars. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Look at this. Seeing this? Yes. This is amazing. Andy, they're changing color. That's a massive asteroid. That's so Or comet or something. I don't know. That, that was big. Insane. There's so many of them. It's That's like, like once in a lifetime right there. So he says that's like once in a lifetime right there, right? Hmm. So that right there happened a week before Vince saw those seven objects. And I remember this because it was all like timed in sequence. This is when we thought, this yep. was like right before the election when we thought a lot of stuff was going on. And that yep. right there, they claimed to be a meteoroid, meteoroid breaking up. And I believe that was an organ sighting as well. Okay, Oregon. Yes, Oregon, so that was an yep. organ sighting. But they claimed that that was a meteor breaking up. The problem I have with that is the mass, the severe amount of debris that is coming down. That asteroid would, had to have been, like, massive. Yeah, and they tell us when things that big are coming to the atmosphere. Right, they know when things that big are coming to the atmosphere. There's My, one that snuck in and then Space Force shot it and broke it up before it came and impacted the planet. <laughs> that could have been, but you would have seen debris scattered all over the place. I think that that was something that got yeah. shot down, like a UFO or something. So it went over the ocean. Well, Vince, when, when you saw yours, how does it look in relation to that video? Way different. What I saw didn't have okay. a trail. It didn't move downward. It moved at the same elevation just across the sky, like space level almost, or very high atmosphere. Um, brighter lights than stars, maybe like as bright as Jupiter, maybe a little brighter. And they stay in okay. the same formation and slowly move the constant speed across the entire sky from constant horizon to speed. horizon. Okay. But high up, like must have been a pretty high altitude. Must have been. And it's like a set, it moved like a satellite. So you're like, okay, yeah, satellite, that makes sense. But I'm skeptical. Like, naturally, I just can't validate it. So it makes me curious. Two days later after that, and someone just mentioned it's in there. Two days later after that, off the coast of Florida, something exactly like that was filmed. Another one exactly like that was filmed. It's fascinating. And that this timeline here, by the way, you guys, remember um, Trump signed the executive order for the disclosure of Uf UFOs or uh, what are they, whatever they call them, UAPs? Yep. In 2019. Uh, June 2019, right? Didn't also, he sneak that in like another executive order? Yeah, about he did. something else. I yeah, it which... was kind of an afterthought in another executive, another uh, for something larger. This was but... uh, the same time as well that um, uh, Jaime Ashed, the uh, former head of Israeli Defense Ministry Space Directorate, who is 81 mm -hmm. years old, giving an interview. Basically, he's a former general in the uh, Israeli uh, security forces as well. This is the same time he came out that said that Donald Trump had met with the Galactic Federation. Oh, my gosh. And the Pentagon's top technolo technology officer resigned June 23rd, 2020. Mm -hmm. So one year later. Hmm. So I don't know. I think that there like, was something going on there. That, that's just definitely. my well, Okay. I'm just going to throw this elephant in the room and just see what you guys think about it, especially in the chat as well. What about the theory... It's just speculation. We're having fun here tonight. It's Friday night fringe or whatever. We're having fun. Okay. So just for fun, let's just speculate a little bit together that what if they're walking amongst us? I'll just leave it to the floor. What do you think? Interesting you said that. So I actually have a, um, I, I pulled something up when we were talking about this. D did you ever watch this, the show Stargate SG-1? I caught a few episodes. I never okay. finished. I've seen the whole series like 10 times. Watch, watch from first episode to last episode. Just binge it 10 times. Um, there's an episode out there 
Um, it's a two-episode arc from 2010 to 2000, uh, 2011. Um, Earth's SG-1 team encounters uh, an alien race known as the Ashen. They go to this one planet, and there's this primitive uh, human beings on there that are agriculturists, and they have these massive technological machines that they're doing agriculture with. And they say, oh, we'll introduce you to the people who gave us this technology into this group of humanoids known as the Ashen. And the Ashen make a deal with the humans and say, hey, we will give you technology, we will give you weapons, we'll give you everything that you want. Um, just come into a trade agreement with us. And so they come in and they start revamping Earth and they start, they cure disease, they increase longevity, they give people 240 year lifespans, they give them weapons, technology, space travel, all this stuff. Ten years down the road, the human population has dwindled over 80% and they don't know why. Nobody's having babies anymore. And what they come to find out is the Ashen, basically what they do is they come in and they give people the cures to all illnesses in their arms. No way. And over time, those people slowly go away and die out until their planet is free and open. They enslave the rest of the people, the 500,000 that are left on the planet, and they use it as, instead of having a trade, it's just their farm. And this is what the Ashen do. And so in the Ashen look just like you and me. They're, they're humans. So it's kind of interesting. interesting. Then you get, you know, the whole, um, the arrival with Charlie Sheen where they have the human meat suits on, the, the silicon meat suits of human beings, and they're pumping the greenhouse gases into the atmosphere to produce global warming because they're actually terraforming the planet. And at the same time, they're poisoning the food, the air, the water to basically get rid of humanity and produce infertility. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, Hollywood, Vince, what do Dude, you think? That's wild. Uh, I think it's a possibility. I also think just totally speculative here. Look, I don't know what the heck this is. I'll just say that. But what if this whole alien technology thing, uh, obviously I'm coming from the side of this, there's something here, there's some phenomenon, whether it's aliens or us, I don't know. There's some technology, I think maybe it's multidimensional, like some people believe in the community. Mm -hmm. I think that's a possibility. But what if it's actually uh, multifaceted, or actually just like it is with a lot of other things, whether it be political, et cetera, like we analyze in our lives, what if it's actually broken apart and there's different factions of people dealing with this technology? Mm. And it's a complex sense. fight within itself. Yeah, you're on to it. just shows you have an open mind that has creativity and that's important. Um, cause I, I think along those lines that it's a little bit of column A, B, C, D, Z, X, Y, Z. It's a bit of everything because, um, but, but one reason I'm asking if they're walking amongst us just as a, as a thing is there's actually a lot of ancient myths and stories that discuss this concept. It's where we got the idea of walk-ins or demon possession or angels coming from the sky, looked at it, looked like humans, et cetera. Yeah, sure so it was actually something that, Yeah. It was actually something that Jordan Maxwell used to talk about a lot. It was one of his lines where he would say, everybody's asking the question, do they look like us? And he <laughs> said, no, 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 we look like them. We look like them, yeah. And I went, yeah, if you actually frame it like that, if you're thinking about this, we look like them, which is why we don't look like anything else, hmm. right? Because who sticks out like, like a sore thumb on this planet of all the species? We do. Who's building structures and civilization and putting masks on on themselves and stopping their air? Like, who's doing this shit? It's us. We also look and are very different. We're very fragile physically compared to everything else. But we have this massive brain. And 
So you start getting into this. And again, this is just a, it's all just, we're just thinking about our reality here. And I just look at it like, I probably said this on Mars Chronicles, but I just think that there is a story in this research community and you can read people actually, I don't have his book handy, but it's Brinsley Lepore Trench. Have you guys ever heard of this guy? No, no, tell me. Okay. Brinsley Lepore Trench was like one of the top UFO authors back in the seventies. Okay. And he did such good. He was also like a, I don't know if he was like a baron or something. Like he was not just your average Joe and he has all these science degrees and everything. And he wrote extensively about the UFO subjects. I think it had to do with his own experiences, but he writes his books um, with data that's hard. You can't even find on the internet because it's documented with pictures and stories and articles and like bringing out the microfilm in all of his books. And there's a lot of these types of books out there where if you're out there Googling shit, you're actually missing so much yeah. of the actual knowledge that we in the alternative field have collected over these decades and, and that thanks, thankful these guys preserved it. So I always recommend people start with Brinsley. Um, he's a really good guy to open up the door. And he also gives you a lot of very deep philosophical concepts to think about and giving you visualizations. Like think of it like this, he said, he would say, what if what we call humanity, there might be variations just as there are variations of races on the planet. We have Chinese people, we have Africans, um, we have Caucasians, all these different typologies of a human. And then on the planet, we also have different typologies of life. So consciousness expressing itself through different forms and look at what's coming out of the bottom of the ocean. They're still finding new stuff all the time. That looks as alien as you can get some of the stuff they're looking at in the ocean. Right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, what if life is as diverse as we literally see on our planet every day, including who we are, but multiply that and you understand it. So if that's the case, Josh, we've spoken about one of our favorite films on this subject. We did a whole thing on your show. Yeah. Um, Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. Why does it keep drawing a blank? Where it's literally discussing that, where there's staying, there are multiple types of different types of life that evolved into conscious forms and even advanced their technology. But there's the, the funny how the steering committee guys, the, the big boys that control the whole thing, that own Earth as part of a big corporate merger or something that they did, are humans. And so one of the things that Brinsley speculated on and many others, even Bob Dean, you, Rob, Bob Dean, everybody remember him? May he rest in peace. Um, used to speculate on the fact that when the old Bible and these ancient scriptures are talking about angelic beings um, or that God made us in his image after his likeness, mm -hmm. right? That there was a human civilization that is galactic in our galaxy in, in the Milky Way, as far as we know, this is the theory, that humanity was seeded throughout the galaxy. So however we got to be what we are and came to this Earth, that was done all over the galaxy. So there's multiple versions of us everywhere. And there's all this time and space that's separating. But what if it's even local to our solar system? And obviously the science people are like, no, it's impossible, whatever. But of course, this is where I think we're dealing with some of the cover up here and possibly why we're covering all of this up um, is that we could be dealing with just as we have humans on the planet fighting for control. We have a world economic forum and all these people trying to make a world government. Who's to say that that's not something that could be going on on the galactic scale and that maybe this is where the speculation comes in. 
earth and what's going on here is actually just a little microcosm of what is happening on that macrocosm. If, that, if that's the case, I think the worry of people uh, overreacting and causing destruction after learning that truth uh, mm -hmm. could be worrisome, actually. Maybe there's some yeah. kind of effort to slowly release the truth on that. I don't know, but that might be a strategy if the truth was inevitably, inevitable to come out. But um, if that was the truth and I, it was proven to me to an acceptable point to where I actually believed it was real, I think I'd be okay with that and be able to live on. So there's actually, yeah, a, there's actually, I think a lot of um, things that support this. Number one, is I developed optimization theory, and this also comes about through the law of correspondence and hermeticism, which is basically where we get as above, so below. And if we look at the replication of nature, the cyclic actions of nature, right, then this pattern repeats throughout the entirety of the universe, which means if life is teeming on this planet, it's teeming on all planets. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not actually happening. It could be happening on different frequencies, dimensionalities, such not. Going back to Stargate SG-1, and this is interesting that, that you said this, um, there was a race of beings that is, like, they're, they're discovered really early on, and they're known as the Ancients. And this is where a lot of uh, the technology comes from. So basically, there's these, uh, the Goa'ulds, who are the bad guys, and they basically... Um, are vultures of technology. They go and adopt other people's technologies. But they discovered technologies that existed all throughout the galaxy and they start taking it in and calling it them own, their own and they become the gods of Egypt and the gods of, of Olympus and so forth. But what you find out later on in the show is this technology was actually of the Alteras. And the Alteras were from another galaxy who came to this galaxy, they were scientists, and seeded every planet that they could find that was uh, habitable for life with their own genes. And guess what they were? They were human. And they ascended scientifically to another dimension and exist as energy but all their technology was left behind. And Earth was one of their home planets that they had in this galaxy. And so Atlantis was their base. And, and so it fits into this whole allegory of the mythology, right? But it's interesting that you said that because that's exactly what they did, is they seeded all the planets. By the way, Stargate SG-1, for people who don't know, Stargate was a movie that came out in the 1990s, late 1990s. Kirk Russell was in it. The, the alien in the movie was a gray alien. This is who played the main Goa'uld. His name was Ra. And basically the Stargate took you to another planet. Ra ruled over that planet and enslaved the people. It was a desert planet. They were humans. Kurt Russell goes over there with his team. They end up killing Ra by sending a nuke up into the, the spaceship. Blows it up. They come back home. La-di-da. All good. They make a show out of it. Now, this came out on the Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel went out to saw it kind of like... Um, cons consultants for the show. And one of the people that they asked or one of the groups they asked to consult for the show was the United States Air Force. The Air Force came in and did a consulting project with the Sci-Fi Channel and said, we will help fund this show. You need to make these subtle changes. They got rid of the gray aliens, replaced them with a snake that goes in and suppresses your consciousness and takes over your body. Right? And then you have this kind of, it, it took place at, um, 
uh, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado Springs. That's where it was based, Stargate Command. And it's it's interesting because you get this New World Order aspect of it. You get what's called the Trust. It's a group of rich uh, philanthropists and billionaires who are basically hoarding this technology, reverse engineering, and slow, slowly releasing it to the public, but making tons of money, but also controlling humanity with it because it's so highly technologically advanced. I mean... It's all there. It's all been laid out for us. And here's the thing is we, we don't know what to believe because we really don't know what's true. But we have to use our own judgment, discernment when looking at this. Now, for me, when you say that this whole galaxy was seeded with life, whether it's human life or someone else's life, to me, that just resonates. To me, I feel that. It feels Same. right to believe that because we have to understand that life is critical to the universe because... Without consciousness, the universe doesn't exist. We, this is what the Nobel Prize in Physics was just given for last year. Is It was talking about quantum entanglement, but it really brought about Schrodinger's cat and observation. Is that when nothing is being observed, the universe exists in a non-localized state. As in, the whole universe exists in probability. It does, it's not there. It doesn't exist. So right behind you right now that you can't see does not exist unless you turn around and observe it, which means that the universe, in order for it to exist, consciousness has to be present. And see, that's the thing, is the universe that's could right. not exist other than in a probabilistic form if life wasn't here from the beginning. And we're like supposed to be gardeners of this planet, right? Humans, yeah. like we have a function here. We're not just here a happenstance. I don't believe that. And so maybe if there are life-bearing planets, the resonance field of that planet can actually um, evolve if the, it's being tended to, just as your garden grows and thrives when you manage it, when you take care of it, or that little bonsai tree, you know, who's going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Nature will just grow it rough. It's just there's a certain process there, but humans have this unique ability to, uh, we also have the same destructive qualities, but um, the, the positive side is that there's an aspect of us in nature. There's a spectrum. And even um, German mystical naturalist Schelling used to speak about it. I, I use this quote a lot. This is a, one of those quotes that blew my mind when I finally realized the weight of the statement when he was talking about what nature is and what spirit is. And he was saying it's just octaves of two different fields. So like we're the same field. So he's like nature is visible spirit. Spirit is invisible nature. Oh, that I answers so that. many conundrums. Bad just one sentence. I'm like. All right, off we go. Makes sense to me. So what we're seeing is dimension. So that means that there's a term that's used as like phenomenological. It's a big, ugly word, but phenomenologically, meaning you are experienced the phenomena you're describing in a way. Mm -hmm. You are here existing and living right now. So it's not insane to think that there are others like you, just as right now, Josh, people would say, oh, you can't prove it, you can't prove it. Yeah, but I can't really, I'd, I've never been to China in my life. Does China exist? Uh, are we being lied to by all the Google images and the knowledge of China existing on the planet? Like I haven't physically gone to verify that China exists. I haven't been there. I see Chinese people that I'm told are Chinese people. Like maybe I'm like, you can keep going, right? Yeah. But you, you think rationally about it, go, no, I've seen enough evidence and I have enough trust in that evidence to think that China does in fact exist and is a real place with real people and a culture and a history and all of that. Um, I'd love to visit and totally verify it. But just take that an inch higher and think, 
Well, I don't really, I've never been to a faraway planet in the galaxy or another galaxy to verify if there's life, but phenomenologically here I am. So therefore the potential exists. So it's not, what I'm trying to establish here is that this isn't a crazy idea at all. In fact, it makes more sense than all of the other theories to me. It really does. Because I think a lot of our other theories are due to the fear of this being true. Right. Whereas why is there people like us who are like, I, I'm scared of that being true. I want this infinite universe to be true. If I were to prefer something, and yeah, I have a bias towards it for a reason, um, I prefer that idea that just as there is an infinite, a virtually infinite amount of types of life on this planet, why the hell are we saying that it, it's such a closed system? And so when we think about that and we go, all right, humanity seeded throughout the galaxy, as well as probably a multiplicity of other life forms, just as we see here. Like, here's Pardon. another interesting thing to think about. You know, all this talk about the reptilians and everything, right? Mm -hmm. Well, people would immediately go, you're freaking crazy, la, la, la. And of course, I don't have any evidence or anything like that, but I have some interesting thoughts about it. Well, reptilians are reptiles and we are essentially mammals, right? Even though a very interesting thing happens when we're going through the process of coming from an embryo all the way up to being a fetus and everything else, we actually like have certain reptilian characteristics. Mm -hmm. And there's a theory that reptilian DNA is mixed with mammal DNA to produce the human. Um, there's also the theory that it's, uh, it's the whole aquatic ape theory, which a lot of people would just say is crazy and maybe it's true, but it's just another way of looking at it, that we're a mix of chimpanzee, like the monkey and all of that and dolphin hmm. or like the water mammals, right? Which is why there's such a resonance field between humans and dolphins. Um, it's, I don't want to get into it. We're just speculating, putting it all on the table. And so then I think, well, what if there's a variety of types of life and that this mammal form that we are isn't the only form in nature that developed intelligence to that level right. i mean all, all life has intelligence but the particular cognitive intelligence that humans have so there's a theory there's an idea that certain strains of the genetics were more reptilian and that just as mammals evolved and developed into what humans are or was assisted to evolve to that point there was certain subspecies of reptilian that were also evolved in consciousness to that point. And then because of that reptilian strain's ability to mimic its surroundings, as we see with chameleons and other things in the reptile kingdom, snakes can change color, etc., that some of these lines were able to also look more humanoid and maybe even did look humanoid. And so it's just a crazy, wacky thing to think about. But if you really think about it deeper, you go, well, I'm here. We're supposed to be mammals that evolved with intelligence. Who's to say there aren't other types of life that also develop that kind of consciousness? There's even people that think whales have even more intelligent capacity than humans. Wow. They're just whales, they right? They just failed to get opposable thumbs. I guess Imagine. they just didn't invent Xbox or whatever. Like we're just a different type of species. So there's different types of intelligence, right? So there could be an so intelligent insectoid. Intelligent insectoids. That's uh, what's that movie where they fought the insectoids? Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, what the hell was this? Like the most famous one. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to talk about this subject because it's such a minefield, but you gotta, you gotta just start. We're just creatively thinking here about ideas because 
there's been many stories of reptilian-like humans interacting with humanity that also go way, 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 way back. It's even pictorialized in a lot of cave art and, yeah. and, and symbolism and everything. Oh. And yes, I could get into the possible reasons for that. Yeah, dude. But you start to go, well, what's with all the stories? And then what's with very intelligent observers actually talking about seeing these types of things? And, and, and why did the... Sorry, go ahead, Vince. Why does the documentation of these rep reptilian creatures match in carvings in South America and carvings across the other side of the world mm. in like Egypt and stuff? Right. Yeah. That aren't supposed to have met. Right. Yeah. So I, I saw this the other day and it's kind of kind of doesn't doesn't have something to do with what we're talking about. But do you know, like the the cave art that's been found around the world some of it's 50,000 years old, some of it's 20,000 years old, but they have various different things within caves of cave art. Um, and people remember the buffaloes or the, the um, what are they, the woolly mammoths that were on the cave art. Well, a dude, an engineer, or he's not an engineer, he's like just a normal dude in, in the UK. He started noticing something that everybody else had noticed, and it's these little dots that all these cave paintings all around the world, all around the world, that these people are disconnected, okay? All around the world, all had these little dots. And he wondered, I wonder if this could be a language. And so language, we know, only goes back about 8,000 years in the sense of kind of written language. But this would have been the first known account of written language. So he contacted some college professors with a few theories of what he had, and they all started looking into it. And they just published in Science last month that these dots that you find in all these cave paintings, they're lunar cycles of, of, of mating of all these animals. So if you had a horse, yeah. the, the dots were actually the lunar cycle of the mating habits of the horses or the woolly mammoths. And it was the same language all throughout the whole world in all the cave systems. 25, 50,000 years ago. Oh, wow. I'd have to see this. I want to, yeah, send me the links on that. That's crazy. Yeah. Like there's so many points there, Let me just do one thing where I've talked so about this quote that also another quote that sort of gave me a lot to think about from Charles Fort, who really specialized in this field back a long time ago, 1900s. And he, it's the quote where he's saying, I think we're property. Mm. We're owned by something. All others warned off. And I'm going through the detailed version of the quote and it's, giving the example, you know, first you have to find out that you're owned and then you find out the whyness of it. Right. Because the minute you talk about something, people go, why, why? Like they want all these other questions. Go, no, no, no. You first have to establish and just realize that you're owned by something before you establish the whyness of it. And then the other thing that he was like, he, he has this interesting description where he says, I suspected that after all we're useful and that among contesting claimants, adjustment has occurred. Or that something now has a legal right to us by force or by having paid out analogs of beads for us to a former, more primitive group of owners. All others warned off. And I was like, what's going on? Think about what he's suggesting here. Yeah. That we had original owners, the Anunnaki, the Nephilim, the fallen angels. But that that was a more primitive form of the group that came later and essentially bought us from them or made an agreement by force or had more ability. Cause you gotta, the, the theory is that if there was this fallen group, 
and they were physical beings, not some, you know, misty, hazy spiritual thing, or maybe they're dimensional and there's both. Um, but if there are physical beings that were here, they might've been stranded here. Mm-hmm. They might've actually crashed here. They may have actually been escaping. There's the myths talk about escaping a war from their own homeland and they found themselves here against their own will. They didn't want to be here. This is the whole agent Smith. I want to get off this place. I want to get out of here. Humans are a virus. You're a disease. I hate this place. I want to get the hell out of here. That was the vibe that's sort of coming into the idea of these stories that the first beings that came here were here against their will. And they just took advantage of that situation and did everything they could. And they needed to find a way to rebuild their technology to get off the planet. And in order to rebuild their technology that may have been lost in the war or in a cataclysm that took place, say you get into the Atlantis thing or whatever you want, that um, they lost their technology. And so the whole period of history has been a process of rebuilding that technology so that they can get out of here. Um, And during that process, this kind of hints at the fact, almost similar to the Jupiter ascending concept, that that group was overtaken by a superior group that came here by their will. And that superior group that came here was a part of a galactic civilization or federation of some kind that operated like that group you're talking about in Stargate SG-1. Right. I can't remember what was the name of them? The uh, Well, they're called the Ancients. Bomori. Right, right. So I just thought that one statement he made that they may have paid out analogs or used former used force and they did it to a more primitive owners of us all others warned off and that this has been known he says perhaps for ages to certain ones upon this earth a cult or order members of which function like bellwethers to the rest of us or as superior slaves or overseers right so he's basically saying certain ones upon this earth meaning the genetic hybrids that were created by the beings that came here to act as lieutenants to manage the farm, which would be who your secret societies, your roundtable groups, the underground world, the whole thing. And that's what the story unfolds from there. And if this is as wild as this might sound to people, does it sound more wild than literally any religion you can tell me on the, in the world? Is it actually not maybe just a star Trek interpretation of all religion it is and so in a way it kind of trumps everything if this ends up being true and it actually would explain a lot but it is the most ridiculed hated uh that people get adversarial about it theory that you could possibly come up with and that makes me question maybe in a way we were genetically programmed to be blind to our slave masters so I got something to add on to this, too, because if you take the Jupiter ascending approach that we were bought out by this galactic farming corporation and that each planet, once it gets ripe for harvest, is harvested. Now take into account the Georgia Guidestones, now take into account the secret societies that we think are trying. I'm speculating here that are really trying to kill us. But in actuality, what they're trying to do is stop these people from coming back. Right. By reducing or, the population, they're no, trying to sense. stop them yeah. from coming back. Right. Oh, maybe there's no choice. That is an interesting idea. I've never thought of it like that. I know. It, I was like, thinking about it like maybe they need to make space because 
they want the re- they want the rest of the resources of this planet for themselves and they can't keep the- they don't need us anymore they needed us in the beginning for all the mining and all the think of like all the Zachariah Sitchin stuff and the Anunnaki they needed us in the beginning but now they've got their technology developed to a point where they don't need us for that anymore they only need a certain group of us they need the 500 million to keep the resonance field of the earth intact with our consciousness something like that or they need the 500 million to work whatever it is um but the idea would be that the whole process is this is a terraforming operation the uh, whole thing right but here's the thing is it in look i agree with all the points because there's so many different ways that we can take this yeah but it's just very we're just having right. fun guys everybody really what if it, what fun. if the globalists and the elitists wanted to rule this world for their own they had the control their power they had the technology and they know that if population gets so large that they're going to come back down and harvest everybody and they don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So they're slowly reducing the population back I to see. a manageable level so that they don't come back. Or tainting the population so that they can't utilize the harvest. I, I, it's, they're just theories. But we have to think about it in all different perceptions. Because there's something happening. We, we cannot deny that. Yeah, exactly. Something there's, is there's happening. There's smoke. There's yeah, lots yeah. of smoke. There's well, something happening. Mention- Go ahead, Vince. We can't mention that without mentioning the flavor injection theory as well. That it's attracting the what? them to come. The flavor injection theory. Oh, the flavor injection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's enticing them to come and have their meals. Right. Obviously, right. Joking. Well, do you remember? I probably talked about it before, but do you remember um, guys like Phil Schneider who came out and talked about some of their experiences? Right. Yep. And. I mean, there's never any way to validate anybody, but I mean, a lot of people think he was murdered for what he talked about. And his wife did an interview after he passed away and her, it's a pretty shocking interview. Um, I should share the link. I'll try to find it. It's hard to find, but he basically was a guy that built secret underground bases for the government. And um, on one of these expeditions, he learned that he said that they know there are beings that are off-world beings that are mining the earth mm-hmm. and they're setting up colonies and they have underground and under ocean facilities and um that the u.s government and all the government and many of the governments of the world are in a way forced to work with these groups and so a lot of the control and he was also a very big patriot so he was basically like we need to take america back and have it run the right way so that these guys that are working for these other beings don't don't build this new world order because he actually he thought very similar to you josh that the new world order wasn't just a human project Mm -hmm. that it was something bigger that the humans involved were actually being managed by these other groups and um yeah there's some underground yeah there's shit all over the the ukraine's 120 mile salt mine tunnels just captured by the what russia's ragnar group 120 plus mile salt mine tunnels. Wow. This stuff is everywhere. It's everywhere. They're massive. You have to see all the pictures. It's phenomenal. Oh my God. Yeah. Go through this and then I'll come back to it. Well, no, you you keep on. You're talking about exactly what it is. Right. Look at this mining operation. But these would be, oh, so this is their current operation. they're They're probably using tunnel systems that were already existent and they're just building through it and making them deeper and spreading them out farther. Is that what you think or? Because well, they're salt mines, right? They're salt mines. But I would say is, is that they're probably using older tunnels to do this. Now, my, they found my, weapons as well there. Yeah. So right. it's some kind of storage or even maybe even doomsday 
type. My point thing. of it is that that's not just in Ukraine. That's everywhere. We see those all throughout the planet. Um, So we just did our annual camping trip at the sand dunes, the great sand dunes in South Colorado, which is completely out of place. You have mountains and then mountains of sand, which make no sense. The reason that they say that those sand dunes are there is that water runoff from the mountains over time deposited the sand there. The sand is 120 feet high, okay? Like water doesn't just run off and pile sand in one little place and then not in other places. There's no sand between the river up in the mountains and where the sand is now. Okay. Mount Everest doesn't have the largest sand dunes in front of it. Right. Mount Everest doesn't. So we were looking at it. And when you start picking up the granular sand, it's not sand. It's not silicon. It's pulverized rock. And Jim Price was there and he says, this doesn't look like runoff sand from a beach. This looks like the exports of a mining operation. Interesting. Interesting. And the Native American legends were that the ant people burrowed the holes underneath the Rocky Mountains and produced the sand mines, the sand dunes. Sorry, did you say the ant people? The ant, they called them the ant people. That's they what they were. They were very, very tall, at. long faces. Yep. 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 And that's and then you got Credo Mutua's testimony from Africa or the Zulu shaman who talked about how he's like, our people have eaten these creatures for sent for a long time. Yeah. Like there's a whole thing. And so I don't know. But when you hear I guess the way it is is we're looking at little puffs of smoke. Okay. That's what we do with this subject. That's all you can do. And we're just having some fun speculating on it. But there's enough puffs of smoke to know there's fire. All we're debating is how big the fire is what you know how intense is it like there's a lot of details about it we're trying to figure out but there is something producing the smoke it, it just as a metaphor and so when you got all these different points of information and the reason i bring up people like phil schneider is because everybody's going to have a trust issue right mm-hmm. is that when he starts talking about stuff that you other people have spoken about including the native american indians and and many other groups that are independent of the guy and he's talking about it. There's obviously he could have just scoured that information and built a big story and whatever, but he didn't do this for money or fame. Um, and he ended up dying early as a result of it. And he didn't really get anything out of it. You know what I mean? So um, you start to think, what if there's, and he was very rational about it. Like it wasn't, it, you just look at the testimony and what he said was there's these beings there and that the American military back in the settler days like i don't know what the yeah it would have been back maybe 1800s they already he said they he was told that that's when they made the first discovery of some of the cave entrances in mm-hmm. in the american area like i don't know where it was again that he was working and that was those cave discoveries that started the process of this underground uh digging and mining and that during those mining operations they made contact with beings that weren't us, that were already mining that. And that was the story that started it off. And ever since then, the U.S. government has classified this under the direction of whoever these beings are. And so imagine this. Just imagine, okay, even if you just want to think of it as a movie that we're talking about, a movie script. Imagine they made contact that long ago. And ever since then, the reason they've been able to keep this secret is because they have to keep this secret mm. because they're not running Jack at the top. 
Right. It's compartmentalization. And it, when you meet something that is far superior to you in technology and whatever, then, you know, you have to heal and then deals get made and then deals get broken and then history moves on and event, you know, and off we go. And he talked about the fact that it actually turned into a war underground, the underground wars. And this gets into Dulce, New Mexico and all that stuff. And Phil Schneider had a lot to say on that also. And you just put all this together with what stories of people like Bob Lazar and, and some of these other guys that have come out. When you put all of it together, uh, Bob Bob Dean, again, military intelligence officer, came out and talked about how he came across classified documentation that literally plainly talked about relations with off-world beings, with the government. And this was classified to the t- t- nth degree. And that that's what set him off his course. And, you know, he went off and talked about it forever. So there's just all these little data points that when you look at it, you go, that's, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. When you put it together, a picture emerges. And then you, then you go into the UFO stories. And this is why the UFO stories are important is that you talk to people. And I did this, uh, we did a conference in Canada called the disclosure tour. We had Richard Dolan. We had Paul Hellier, who's the former defense minister of Canada, and um, we had uh, Stanton Friedman. Uh, I think it was about six to eight months before he passed away. Oh, wow. UFO legend Nuclear in the field. Physicist, yeah. Nuclear yeah. physicist, right? What a cool guy. We had dinner with him and his wife. He's a sweet man. And um, we had Grant Cameron. We had Stephen Bassett. So we tried to do like a smorgasbord of UFO guys that all disagree with each other on the on the theory, but that are all friendly. Like they're all like, yeah, I have a different theory, but we need different theories. And when we did this tour, we would have these little after parties and we would have some guy would host it at his condo or at his barn or whatever. And we'd all go and uh, we met some of the most interesting people and they would all tell us their stories. And I started collecting UFO stories from Canadians across the country, from Mm -hmm. Nova Scotia to British Columbia. I would get at least one or two of the audience and I would sit down and film them and record their stories. And you're, you can always tell the people that are just dying for attention. You can always tell the people that just want to tell you something, what you want to hear to get on camera and wave to their fans and all that shit versus the people that you almost have to beg to allow you to record it with the camera off, you know, and that you kind of have to pull by the hand to tell you the story. Right. right. And I got a lot of those. And when you're talking, seeing, oh, maybe it's a meteor breaking up, or maybe it's just a satellite that I misinterpreted, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, versus one story that I was told where there's like eight people that were all present telling me the story, that all were together, that saw a craft that was literally the size of a football field, just blink on over top of them, float for about a mile, and then zip off at a speed that's literally impossible. And everybody saw it. And they even saw the wind current on the tops of the trees separate the top. Like it didn't take the trees out, but imagine seeing like a wind gust just scatter through the tops of the trees. And it just goes like, so they didn't hear the craft. They just heard the wind. Hmm. And that, and they're like, this was in the 80s. They told us where it was and they said, we've been like friends ever since lifelong friends. And we talk about it, but it's one of those things that only we know. And it's like a little, we like the fact that everybody, everybody think we're crazy, but we all saw it together. So imagine Vince, Josh, me, we're out somewhere. We see something that dramatic. And then we try to come on this show and try to convince people that it was real. How would you prove it? 
They would go prove it, prove it. Like Nathan's in the room, prove it. No, no, do the math. Give me the trigonometry of the angle of, the... and you're like, no, dude. Like I can't even describe it. I saw it. I felt it. I know I wasn't high on DMT, and we all saw it together. How do you prove that shit? Yeah, and I have I have my own experiences, and the question is, is how do you prove them? And that that's the tough one. That's that's the tough one in today's society. But you know what? A thousand years from now or 400 years from now, human beings will laugh back at this time when we were, yeah. were very un, unaccepting of those stories. Like, oh, my God, it was, you know, oh, yeah, yeah UFOs. Oh, yeah, man, we, get, we jump in our time machine. We go back in there and fuck with them all the time, right? Like, <laughs> right? It, it's happening. Um, I yeah. want to give Rwood79 a call out for the $5 Super Chat on Rumble. And they asked, where does the salt come from? How did the, that much salt accumulate in Ukraine from the Great Flood? And uh, there, there's a lot of various theories of how the salt actually accumulates under the substrata of, of the earth and so forth. Uh, one of the theories is that all continents are porous and that the saltwater oceans actually seep up through deposit salt and then become freshwater beds of lakes and so forth. So uh, other than that, I... Um, I would assume that crystallization takes place, but we'll wonder how that actually happened. It could have been from the Great Flood. I agree. It could have been from the destruction of the planet Tiamat, which rained its salty waters down upon the Earth, which is a point of mythology that uh, we've talked about and the Mars Chronicles as well. So, But appreciate that, that $5 super chat right there. And uh, as Missy Jane says, you don't have to prove shit. I trust you guys. Discernment, gut feeling. Well, and, and thank you for that. I, I, and th that's why everybody has to look at this subject. You know what? This subject isn't for everybody. And this subject and these questions are yours. There, any, anybody listening, we're all in a group together discussing it. And even if we had a campfire going and everybody was telling their thing, your experience, your feeling, your interpretation, keep it yours. Yeah. And even if you disagree or think it's something, whatever, keep it yours. Like, don't let anybody, no matter how you look at this, try to force you to see it their way. I don't want everybody to see it the way I see it. I'm actually, this is something that I really love about the path that I've found myself on, which is that I looked at all the theories, all the theories, all the theories I could find on religion, on history, on mythology, on ufology, on the origin of life, on f philosophy, uh, all these things. And I'm only one man and I'm not even the most intelligent. So I did the best I could to go through as many of the variations of a theory of how to see the world as possible. And I have selected the ones that I feel match my personal experience, match my intuition, and also match my logic and reason mm -hmm. with the research I've done to validate and vet, to look for patterns. And even though there is an issue with the human mind where because we can see patterns, we start to create patterns out of something that isn't a pattern, right? When you're aware of that, as you're researching, you're trying to constantly remove that bias while you're looking at this. And you and I've always tried to stay open as well to not get too attached to these things, right? Even though some of them make you feel better inside than others. But I'm glad that I have my own unique view on all of these topics, my own unique theories on all these topics. And if I ever go out on my show or come on this show and talk about a theory, it's me putting a new spin on something that maybe people have heard before, maybe they haven't. Where now you can go and compare notes and take what you want and discard the rest. Like Bruce Lee said, take what is useful and discard what is not and add something that's uniquely your own. 
it's really easy to be an armchair critic of theories and try to go, oh, no, you should see it like this. No, you should see it like that. I see it the way I see it. Let's compare notes and have a chat. I feel and in the way. end, the truth reigns supreme. And with this, how about this? It's a mystery and we don't know the answer. And that's awesome. That's okay. It's okay to have mystery. In fact, I like the people that have the mind that like the mystery, that like to explore, that like to see the infinite possibility. Those are the kinds of people I like to be around. That's and right. that's the kind of theory I like to have. So I'll bring guys on where I disagree 90% of their theories, but we still exchange that 10% that's just pure gold and we learn from each other and we compare to each other. That's that's beyond just research. That's your personal experience and observation of this life. So make it yours. Don't let people pull you off the train of where you think you should go. Whatever your inner voice is telling you to follow when it comes to any of these subjects, you have to follow that and don't let the world try to take you away from it. And be proud of the fact that no matter what, how you look at anything, you're going to come up with your own view of it and we need you to have your unique view. You don't. I don't want you to have my unique view. Mm -hmm. I want Josh to have his view. I want Vince to have his. I'm going to have mine. Nathan's going to have his. All the people in the chat are going to have theirs. Awesome. That's what makes this world a wonderful place. That's what tells us we're all just throwing darts in the dark, trying to figure out a grand mystery. And thank God that mystery exists because if we can wake up and think we've figured it all out, that's when I'm bored and I'm out of here and I don't want to be here anymore. So I'm glad that there's still a big mystery that's alive for all of us to explore. I agree 100%. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Emerson Big Guns for the $1 Super Chat on Rumble. You guys should do a show on time travel, Project Looking Glass, and the Mandela mm -hmm. Effect. We definitely can do that. And I would then, love to do that. Then another $5 from Arwood79. I love Patrick, but Nathan and his argument was retarded. <laughs> Earth, Earth is a flattened sphere. Their whole argument was based on the 3959 miles of the equator. So thank you so much, Arwood. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it, it, listen, we can all have our own opinions about reality. And this is, I, I talked about this a lot in the sense when I talk about truth. And this is what I actually wanted to talk about with Nathan and Patrick is that there's an absolute truth, and this is kind of how I define God. God is the absolute, the totality. It is the encompassment of everything through all time and space, and that there's nothing that escape it. It's the infinite within the encompassment of the infinite. This is totality or absolutism. And so that means that there's an absolute truth, and that absolute truth, because you and me are not it, because it is the encompassment of everything, is unknowable. It's incomprehensible. It's omnipotent. It's omniscient, right? It's beyond us. So that means that we can only have an interpretation, our own interpretation of the absolute. We can only have this interpretation through the filter of our senses, through our indoctrinations, our education, through our experiences, through our thoughts and feelings. We use those aspects of filter to interpret the absolute and draw a basis of our reality. And that's the real truth, is that our reality is based upon who and what we are, our, our, everything that we've been through, but it's our reality. And we shouldn't try to push that understanding or conceptualization of our reality onto other people, but instead do exactly what you just said. Share it, exchange, compare, contrast, learn, grow. And, and I mean, Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, period. That's what this is about. It's about observing and going, holy shit, I noticed this. And then talking to David and David and go, dude, I noticed this. Compare the two and go, 
whoa, we just had a growth. We, we just realized something that was never realized before. We just grew internally with knowledge because we compared notes on the aspect of reality. And that's what this is truly about, is working together in that sense to where we can grow spiritually, mentally, physically, evolve within this universe. At least for me. Yeah. That's a boom. Vince, what do you think, man, about all this? If I could take something from what you both said, which I think you guys are both spot on, and I love it. Uh, I'll say this, that um, in agreement with what you're saying, if somebody decides to always wear the hat of a skeptic, I think that they could miss out on a lot, whether it be reality or whether it be skepticism or just theories or imagination. I think that the potential of missing out on the truth as well is not worth always putting that same hat on. Mm. So it's important to have these conversations um, as difficult as things become in life naturally. So uh, I appreciate the conversation today. Thanks, guys. Yeah, this was yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And I mean, when you when you really zoom out, you think we are trying to find out some very specific questions like where did we come from as humans what is the actual history of this planet and where the hell are we and what is the nature of reality and why are we here and what's the point of life like this is what opens up your mind and a lot of people don't like the feeling of speculating on those questions too deeply because it brings up a lot of inner stuff. It brings up your fear of the question or the fear of the possible answers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have to face yourself on these journeys of asking these deep questions. You have to face a lot in yourself. Um, and I'm still learning too. And I think that's, what's great about it is this is never settled. There's, this is no final word. We're, we might find out tomorrow that everything we said is bullshit, or we might find out we were more right than we could ever imagine. And there's even more layers to it or, you know, a variation of the two. And, and that's okay. Because what else are we going to do guys? We're sitting here watching the world go absolutely batshit insane, watching everybody tear each other to bits over every small detail of every possible thing you can imagine. Humans are more divided now than ever before, even though we're more united by technology and the ability to converse ideas over the internet and all these videos. And yet we're more divided than ever. All right. So maybe in a way we're learning a great truth. That maybe there is a uniting factor to humanity, but there's also an inherent division. That is the division that divides right down to the one unit, which is you, the individual, which means we can either pursue a bee colony hive type of a world where we're centrally controlled by Klaus Schwab and all that stuff, or we can pursue a world of freedom where you're free to ask these questions, where you're free to challenge the status quo, where you're free to uh, speak your mind and share what you think and learn from others, as opposed to you're not even free to speculate on this shit anymore because we're going to censor everything that doesn't go with the Google algorithms or whatever we're going to program. And just wait till they get to the point where they can put Google and iPhone technology right inside of you. And then you're not thinking organically anymore and having that spectral thought. You're now thinking the Google algorithms and that's the hell that we all have to unite to fight against. And if we can unite on that and find the common ground, uh, we can preserve our individual freedom and achieve unity in a funny way uh, at the same time. So um, I just I tell people you're an explorer, Be an, have the explorer pioneer attitude. Not the everything's settled, uh, there's, it's all hopeless, it doesn't mean anything, and it's over mentality. Have the explorer, the optimism, the creativity, the imagination. 
Um, and, and, but also remember, you don't have to believe 100% everything you hear and see. You just have to take it as notes and document it and, okay, put that on the back burner. Some of the stuff I talk about today, I don't saying I believe it all 100%. It's just back burner shit that's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. But then you start finding that some of those things that were on the back burner once upon a time get confirmation as you go. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to bring that out and look at it again, right? So that's what makes it fun. I love these subjects because of that, whether they're true or not. Um, but honestly, deep down, if I were to ask myself, honestly, do I think something about this is true? I would have to say absolutely positively. Yes. And that's just right. me. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's been, it's been something that I've experienced throughout my life is that there, when you're growing up as a kid and you have those experiences, you don't look at them as strange or weird or unusual or rare because you're, you're a kid. Everything's new to you. Right. And as you get older, like I had massive amounts of paranormal experiences when I was a kid um, from ghosts in the house, from being um, having the living daylight scared out of me, these types of things. I lived in two different haunted houses, lived next to an incredibly haunted house that had an exorcism done on it. Um, and, and then I had various different types of UFO events that occurred as well that I witnessed that been akin to me and my brothers after my father passed away. Um, two of my brothers were all in San Diego and we were talking about our childhood, reminiscent about our father. And uh, one of the brothers mentioned how my father um, proclaimed that he was abducted by aliens and they pulled him out of his window. My one brother's like, oh, yeah, that used to happen to me when I was a little kid all the time. I remember waking up and being dragged through the window. My other brother's like, dude, that same thing happened to me. And I'm like, well, hold on, hold on. I, I remember having that same thing happen to me. And we're all sitting there going, we've never talked about this before, right? Like. You, you have wow. these things and you just, you don't think anything of it. You think maybe it's an out-of-body experience or it's just a bad dream or a nightmare. But then you're correlating these same things with your brothers. And it's like, whoa, there, there's more to this than we could ever imagine. And that, you know, we got to remember as well is that, you know, our memories, you know, was that a dream? Did we all just share a common dream? Was it just, uh, you know, maybe it was a false memory implanted by our father telling us the story individually and us just remembering it and extrapolating it at the time of his death because of the emotional significance. Right. The question is, right. is I don't hey, at know. least you're thinking of it. Yeah. Right. It's all possibility. Right? You have to bring all those possibilities in. So, uh, but I've had other experiences where there is one that I never looked at as a, uh, um, a UFO experience for the longest time. And this is, this is kind of fucked up because when I tell the story, everybody's like, dude, you were abducted. I'm like, what? No, no. Because this is not the feeling I get or the thought I get when I tell this story. But, but now that I think about it with a kind of uh, hypercritical mindset that looks back at it and goes, holy shit. Like I see it, but I still don't like, ah, oh, right. It's like nothing. Cause I was there. I experienced it. But then when I start to think about it, it now makes a lot more sense. And this is a story of me and my buddy Tom. We were 10 years old. We were big Ninja Turtle fans. We were both in Tatsudo, taking Tatsudo. We were, I think we were both orange belts or blue belts at the time. And we were 10. And my mom's house was here. And my dad's house was about 300, 400 yards away. And you had to go through a field. And there was like this little berm right behind the grocery store. And it was an open field. And then my dad's house was over there. And we dressed up as ninjas. We had you know, Tommy boots on, everything. And we had kitchen knives, as, you know, our swords and shit. And we snuck out about 1130 at night. 
and we were crawling through the backyard. I remember because there's still, you know, the dampness of the soil and it's a early summer, late June kind of thing. And we're going, going, we get behind the berm. And I remember we looked up and we're like, whoa, look at the plane coming in. Rochester International Airport was to the north and the plane was coming in from the south. And the plane was coming in and the light got brighter. Kind of what Vince was saying. It was like the light started shining on us and towards us. And the plane was coming in. I remember not hearing it. We couldn't hear the plane. We always used to hear the planes as they flew by. And I remember me and him looking up at the plane. It was getting closer and closer. We're like, whoa, that thing's getting really low. And next thing I know, we're crawling again. And now there's more dew because I was getting wet this time on my clothes. And we got up and we started walking. We get to my dad's house and the lights are on. I'm like, oh no, the lights are on. Shit, we're in trouble. I didn't expect them to be awake. And we go to the back door and they're like, where the hell have you been? We've been looking for you for hours. And I'm like, dude, we left 15 minutes ago. What are you talking about? They're like, it's it's five o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, dude, we left at like 1130. And so there's like five hours that passed by and we have no idea what happened. And But here's the thing is we didn't think anything of it. We were kids. We're like, oh, well, we must have fell asleep in the field, right? Like, oh, well. But now that I think back at it, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, maybe something did happen there. Maybe something more happened during that time. Um, and, and I have multiple experiences like that in life. So it, it, it's kind of crazy to think about it in that way, but... You know, when I look back at that event and I look over the details that I know specifically happened, mom's house, dad's house, I remember clearly my brother Jay, I think it was Jay or John coming to the door and saying, with my dad, my dad pissed off, never seen my dad so pissed off at me. Where the hell have you guys been? We've been looking for you. We're about to call the police because apparently my mom woke up in the middle of the night. We weren't there. She calls them and they were all getting ready to go out and look for us. And we showed up there and I remember they were so pissed. And then the sun started coming up and I'm like, holy shit, like, whoa, what, what the hell is going on here? But, you know, we just went to bed and we didn't think anything of it. And now when I look back at that, I'm like, oh shit, man, maybe, maybe that light wasn't a fucking plane. Maybe, maybe there was something else going on there. We didn't fall asleep in the field. Maybe something took us up and dropped us back off. You never know, man. And there's also the uh, explanation of, at least some of these things being the whole military abduction mm -hmm. MK Ultra thing, where um, some of these things are implanted, and there's this whole other theory of it. But it gets so it gets so specific and so detailed and so grandiose that you're at a point where you're like, we're just speculating on speculations, like, but we just have these little glimmers of information and experience that we're like, there's a mystery here, and it's almost like how do ants feel or birds or rabbits in my backyard when they see me walking by mm. or imagine you're going to a place that's pretty untouched. Like there's a lot of those places out here in uh, BC where I live where people don't go there. And there's a lot of apex wild animals out there. And if you go out there, they've never seen humans before. And so when they see you, you start to wonder like that's an alien encounter to them. That's a like first time. Yeah. Right here we are operating on the planet. We're dominant on the planet. There's wars going on. There's shit going on. There's digital currencies. And then we walk in and there's like a bear that sees you. That's never seen a human before. And you know, you just imagine that, like, do they, do they think if they had human cognition, would they go back and go, I just saw 
the weirdest fucking thing I could ever, I couldn't even explain what it is. He's standing on two legs, walking around. I don't get it. Like, what is that? I've never seen it. Machine. And everybody's like, that, that Brian, man, he's crazy. That He's a crazy bear. He's seeing yeah. shit. And you just think like, just, I'm, it's the worst, it's a bad example, but imagine switching it to us. And there is something that is kind of on the periphery that we're just getting little glimpses and feels of here and there. And that's all we get right now. And as our, our consciousness expands, our awareness expands, our knowledge expands, we get to see a little bit more of what that is. And then maybe eventually you get to the point where you can actually be in the same time and space as that thing, whatever it is. And that. once in a while you get little glimmers, but that's all you get at this point. You know, it's crazy to think about. Yep. I want to give another shout out to Rwood79 for another $5 super chat. Much appreciated on that. My research has put me into two mindsets. I believe in a higher power. We have been through multiple civilizations with outside manipulation genetically, or we have migrated from another planet. I feel very strongly about those ideas as well. And then Jabbar17 to add on the Joshua's point, I think that when we are born, we are connected to a higher realm, but the older we get, we lose it. That is why kids are so connected to the paranormal and see more things. I, I agree with that statement as well. Yeah, the paranormal would be a fun thing to do as well, because there's different theories on what that is. Mm -hmm. But again, you just rub up against these things. I've had I had a really messed up Ouija board experience once. Really? I don't know if we have time for that, but um, and I got lots of time, but whatever you guys want to do. Okay, I, if you got time, let's rock and roll. Vince, you got time? Okay. Because I also want to talk about Antarctica. Okay. If we I have time see if for I got that. any beers. Hold on. Yeah, Get a beer. Roll. Okay. Let's do the Ouija board. I got beers. So, so I was against Ouija boards, and I have never used one since this experience. When I was, This was when I was probably, I want to say, 17. And it was my one of my ex-girlfriends from back in the day. She was like a hard-nosed materialist. She heard both her parents were psychologists, okay? Or psychiatrists, actually, psychiatrists. So very like grounded, scientific. She was getting degrees in university. She had no time for this stuff. She just let, thought it was fun, the movies or whatever. And it, a friend of hers, it was her roommate, because she was in university, was a witch. And she was in like the Wicca thing. And she was not an actual, it was just like one of those like amateur just I looked up some stuff, read some books, and now I'm a witch. Um, it was <laughs> the one of those. LGBTQ witches. Yeah, yeah. I never hung out. I was like, okay. So uh, she had said, hey, guys, we should try out this Ouija game, and we should make one ourselves instead of buying it from, like, Fisher-Price or whoever makes the game. And she's like, I looked up how to make it out of the natural elements so that it brings higher connection and all that. And I'm telling my – and so the whole group of – our friend circle there probably was about eight of us uh they're all like gung-ho we're gonna do this something inside of me and i'm mr adventure mr curious i maybe i watched too many horror movies growing up but i was just like i just don't want to have anything to do with this i don't even want to be there and i don't right. think you should do it i think we're i don't know enough about this to know as to whether or not it's like stable or whatever i've just heard stories and i don't know and i was the one didn't want to do it and I even told my ex-girlfriend, I'm like, I really don't, I, I just really don't think you should try. I mean, I want you to do what you want to do, but this is kind of weird. And she's like, no, I'm doing it. So they do it. So I'm like, fine. So I was the one dragging my feet. And I am like, I'm not even going to participate. I just want to watch you guys do it. Right. And so they, we go to their apartment. She had it all set up with candles and everything. She Apparently she had found a slab of wood 
and then had been spending weeks molding it, carving it. I don't know what the hell she turned it in and started carving in the symbols and the letters and all that stuff. And then she found a, she had a particular crystal that she probably got from some gift shop somewhere and all this, all these, she, so she got all these elements and she made it. And so everybody goes around the thing. And I remember sitting in the corner of the room, just like this, chilling with the cat. Cause she had this big fat cat that never moved at all. And I was just chilling with this cat looking, I'm like, I'm just going to watch this shit. And I'm looking eye level to the table. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, they're up here and everybody starts like, okay, we got to put our hands over the crystal and move it around or see if it moves. And I could see that nobody was touching this crystal. Nobody was. It was like at least an inch off the top of it. Okay. And all of a sudden the thing moves a little bit. Huh. It Like I watch it. It just kind of goes like, and I'm like, they're fucking, where's the magnets? Like right away. I'm like, what's going on? And everybody was like, oh, oh, we did it. Like it was like the excitement, right? Then they go back and it starts to move towards the letter. Then it moves to another letter. Then it and they're they're all like you see the fun look on their face leave immediately. <laughs> Where it went from oh look it was cool we're doing the Ouija and then it was like holy shit and the, I remember my buddy he looks over at me like this with the wide eyes as his hands are moving on top because everybody's there and this crystal's moving around on the board. It got to a point I'm not I remember this like it was yesterday okay. It got to a point where everybody started freaking out because the thing started moving so fast, the noise in the room started to increase. It was like, what the fuck? Like, imagine, right? It's just moving around. They started writing down what this, whatever it was, was spelling. And it starts spelling its name. It starts telling a story, specifically spelling with these letters. It got to the point where it was moving so quick that it came off the board. It, it went right off the board as soon as it went right off the board. And I'm just sitting there like my beer is probably like, like this leaking onto my shirt. Yeah. I couldn't even like, I'm like the cat that never moved this fat cat never moves practically jumped to the ceiling, like Meow! out of nowhere. As soon as the thing flew off the board, didn't see the cat again. And I sit back and everybody's like, first they're like, one girl started crying. Someone started laughing. Like, it was weird to watch people that were just like a bunch of kids trying to have a good time, try to deal with something that wasn't supposed to happen that they all secretly thought maybe it would, but when it did, it was too real. And it, everybody was freaked out. I didn't talk to anybody for like a week. Week goes by. Suddenly my girlfriend at the time starts telling me she's having these horrible nightmares because they're still living in the apartment where this right. event happened. She starts having these horrible nightmares. I'm like, well, you're probably overthinking it. Maybe don't do that shit again. She's like, and this is the scientifically minded person coming to me and saying, I think something's in our apartment. I think something came into our apartment. I feel it all the time watching me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So you're overthinking about it. Just, you know, forget about it. She's like, well, we tried to get rid of this Ouija board. So we brought it out with the garbage. We come back and I don't know if it was the garbage man or whatever, but the Ouija board is sitting right on our porch when we come home. She's like, I was so terrified in that moment. I wanted to move back home. Like that's how that freaked me out. 
Maybe someone played a prank. Maybe it was one of our buddies that was trying to, I don't know, but that's what happened. So they actually take it out and they burn it. Then my girlfriend starts almost like I started to keep uh, meeting up with her and she's like looking more like, like she's not sleeping. Like she just started looking like shit and she's still in school and everything. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I can't shake this. I'm seeing shit in the mirror. Every time I look in the mirror, stuff's coming out of the cupboards. Like in the, she's, I'm like, are you okay? I thought she was literally losing her mind. Okay. But she was so convinced that there was something real to it. Well, doesn't she go and try to do it again with her friends at a different place? Turns out the same, whatever, spelt the same name. I can't remember what it was. Some ancient name, Azazel or some shit like that. But it's not Azazel, Azazel, but it's like one of those kind of names. Like it was something very particular. And uh, I'm like, stop messing with this thing. Like, stop. And she's like, I can't stop. I look, and I'm like, no, you, 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 you're, it's driving you nuts. Whatever this is, it's driving you nuts. She's like, no, no, I can't. That was the start of the end of our relationship. And it wasn't even my choice. It was her choice. She, it was just the way it went. So that story, I'd never mess with that shit ever again, but I'd even contacted some of the people in that friend circle a few years after that. And I was like, do you, did we see that? Did that happen? And they were all like, Oh, that fucking happened, but I don't want to talk about it. Like none of them wanted to talk about it. It wasn't a fun story. And I thought that was interesting. It made it a little more real for me to go, yeah, this was something that wasn't supposed to happen. So that's my Ouija board story. It's the only one I had. I've never used that shit again, but you start to wonder how is that? How is what I saw possible? And anybody listening could say to me, oh, I don't believe in that shit. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't believe in it either. And then it just happened and I, I, I'm stuck with it and I can't prove it to you. It's just what I saw. I, wa- I watched it in three reality. I was only into a neck of beer at the time. So I wasn't like hammered. We didn't smoke any weed. We didn't have any of that shit going on. And that was it. And I just watched it happen in physical 3D reality. And me and that cat can't explain it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. You got one, Vince? Negative, no. Okay, so in the small town I grew up with, in, in people who live in or around Rochester, New York, and go to the town of Caledonia, and right down on State Street, at the cross-sections of Maple Street, there's a house there. It's now an apartment. I lived right next to that at 3208 State Street. That house, when I was growing up, for most of my uh, youth, was a uh, realtor's agency. Now, my buddy who lived in the house next to me. His mom was a realtor that worked at that realtor's agency. And they had a rule, be out by dark. Lock the doors, turn off all the lights, and have to be out by nighttime. And this is back in the, the 90s, late 80s, 90s, and they had computers, they had apples, and you had to unplug all the electronics when you left. Um, nobody knew why, they just did. And you'd go into this place when nightfall would start coming, and you just get this weird feeling. My, my father, and I was really young. My brother Jay can tell you this story. My brother John can tell you this story. They were there when all this happened. Um, a family lived in that house. And um, the family had moved a few houses down. My father was good friends with them. The father was a raging alcoholic and uh, drug addict as well. And the, his kids back in like the late 1970s, early 1980s were... 11 and 12, very young. Um, They were in one room and his dad and some friends took a whole bunch of LSD 
and had a Ouija board. And they went into their oh my son, god, they went into their son's the kid's closet. The kids shared a room. They went into the kid's closet, okay, and they were fucking with the Ouija board on LSD. And they left the Ouija board there, and they didn't think anything of it. And you know, the next day comes, the day after that, and the father's sober again, and the two kids, Danny and Eric, came in into their parents' room about a week later, like. Uh, mommy, daddy, we're scared. Can we sleep with you? And the dad would beat the piss out of them and send them back to bed. And this is the story that was told my father afterwards. My father experienced part of this. I'll get to that in a second. And the next day, they come in there and they go, Mommy and daddy, we're scared. There's something in our room. Can we sleep with you? And the dad would beat them and take them back to the room. And um, then they came in one night just screaming, Mom, dad, there, there, there's something in our room and it's trying to hurt us. And the father would whoop their ass and send them back to bed. The next night was a, was a Friday night. Because Saturday night's the night the priest came. It was a Friday night. And they came in there completely frantic, screaming, crying. And the father's finally like, okay, let's go take a look. And he opens up the door to the room. The bed's just going, boom, 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 boom. Shit's just flying around the room. And he closes the door, grabs his kid, grabs his wife. And fucking leaves. Goes to my dad's house. Right next door. And he's like, we need to stay here. And like, we were, I was like three when this happened, right? And the next day, my dad convinced them to call a priest in. And so they called the Catholic Church down the street, which is a really small Catholic Church. Um, they made the call, told, explained the situation. They got approval to do an exorcism that day. And so my dad said it was a beautiful summer day in, in western New York. Blue skies, not a cloud in the sky. Um, and the priest parked in front of our house and walked down the sidewalk. And as he walked towards that property line, he said it just a chill came through the air. And black clouds started rolling in over the town and started thundering and lightning everywhere. And the priest went into the house. And he came out about six or seven minutes later, pale white and said he's never going back in that house again and left and so i grew up next to this house um when you would walk by like so they had this big black ramp driveway that goes up and there's a two windows right here and my house is right here and you would walk into your house and you always be like and there's always like you had that feeling something's just staring a hole in your head um both those kids are dead now Drug overdoses, really bad lives. Yeah, it's like... I think that experience messed them up. I do. I, I really do. Uh, the the um, One of them just committed suicide last year, and I talked to him a few days before it happened. But it was... It, it's, it, it's fucked up, man, because I remember living next to this house forever, and now it's an apartment, and I don't even want to know what the fuck's going on there. But my house, our house right next door, was built in 1809... It was the first library in the town. Um, and I remember having nightmares all throughout my childhood of something watching me, something poking me, something touching me, all these different things. I would never, ever want to go to the basement. So the basement was just fucking, oh God, spooky as fuck. It was st a stone a cellar basement. Oh, geez. And um, my brother John, so my brother John is... 72 so he's about nine years older than me and i had to be 
so nine, he was 18. I was nine when it happened. And this is right at the same time my parents got a divorce is um, he was sleeping. And so kind of the way the house worked is he had like the front quarter room right here by one of the front doors and everybody else slept upstairs or in the back of the house. And uh, there was one night when everybody was woken up in the middle of the night and we thought John like was drunk or beaten his girlfriend or something because his girlfriend was sleeping over with him. And you just hear him yelling and screaming and punching shit. And uh, they go in his room and he he's bleeding. Both of his hands, his feet are both bleeding. And he's in his closet and his closet door is completely torn down and just punched through. And they ask him what happened. And he says, he came back. He was over top of me. And I told that motherfucker, if he ever came back, I was going to whoop his ass. And, he, and they're like, who? He goes, the guy with chains. And he tells it later that there was a guy hovering over him with chains. And he just starts swinging at him. The guy in the, the ghost moved towards the desk. He ran over to the desk and started just swinging at it. It went into the closet and he tore down the closet just trying to beat the fuck out of it. He moved out of the house the next day. Ghost fights. That would be the good yep. show to do. It ghost would be a fight. good show to do. Find a ghost. Oh my gosh. What do you think this is? Like, and anybody in the chat too, because there's all the explanations, right? Um, but like, are there any alternative ideas to what everybody kind of thinks that this ghost phenomena is? Like, what other, like, this is something that's everywhere. Is it just people masking memories, people going through psychological phenomena? Is it, uh, blueprinting where like our soul leaves like a blueprint essence here. And we just sometimes interface with that. Is it actually just what we think souls, bodiless soul? Like what do you, what do you think that shit is? So I, I would say that it's actually all of the above. I think that, that there's many various explanations for it from phenomena that we don't understand. Uh, let me call this right. one out. Sonia, thank you so much for the $5 on rumble four of us at the pool boyfriend's house. Try to levitate a wooden stool jam box no batteries not plugged in it began to play on its own and we left uh, and i've had similar experiences like that thank you sonia for that um but yeah i mean i think that that there's i think that time kind of laps over each other with frequency okay that if we look at conservation of how the universe operates it's not going to create something new when it can reuse what it's already been, happened before right and so that time just kind of goes through these octaves and occasionally these octaves run over each other and that you can have residual emotional energy that's left within that fabric of time and space that seeps through when those time variations begin to meet. I think that's one explanation. I think another part of this is interdimensional. I think it's subdimensional, right? That there really is an astral plane and the astral plane is just an interdimensional plane to where a higher level of our consciousness, a vibrational level of our being exists. And that when you're, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a loading room. You know, you ever played VR and you're in that waiting room and you're waiting to get into the game. It's kind of like that waiting room before you get in. And this is where everybody's hanging out. And some people are just dickheads and they're going around pushing people and poking people and making fun of people, scaring people across the corner and you know, and, there, and there's some crazy shit that can happen in there. So I think there's just a whole bunch of different phenomena that are occurring. And what I would actually like to see is I'd like to see somebody with a scientific mindset go out there and look at all the various types of 
sightings of ghosts and experiences of ghosts and paranormal and start categorizing them as such. Like I bet you there is. There's got to be. There's so many shows on this. There's so many ghost hunters. That gets like one of the most popular things. They tried to bring me in on some of the episodes they were doing with some of these History Channel shows, and I turned them down because I'm like, this is a fascination of mine, but it's not my area of expertise. But like, there's so many of these groups of people and authors and these guys that go stay in all the haunted hotels and the document shit and bring all these like different measurement tools and whatever. And you get to a point where so much of it is, so much of it is, I think, bunk, like a lot of what they show you. But then there's those things you experience and those stories that you hear that isn't, you know, it's like everything else. And so part of us, we're really fascinated with this stuff. And so part of our imagination maybe fills the gap. But there's still something happening. There's something happening. And some guys would say, oh, it's just all psychological phenomena. But then when you get into stuff where you're all seeing, like, how is it psychological phenomena when all of us saw the same thing and it was very real and there were physical consequences in the room? Like things moved around and they stayed moved around afterwards. Well, and trauma. Like, and trauma. Right. Right. So um, I'll bet you a lot of things can be explained as psychological phenomena or some other thing. But again, there's that there's enough of it there to go. There is something to it. And there's actually an interesting spin on the theory of dimensionality that my buddy, Matt Presti, uh, just did a, a thing on. It's more of a philosophical treatise on the idea of dimensions and how a lot of what's coming out of like string theory and, and some of these quantum theories even, and then even what you're seeing in the new age movement and then the religious community is this idea that dimensionality or other dimensions is somehow separate from our reality mm. or like spiritual dimensions are separate from our reality where he's saying dimensionality is within our universe. If there's dimensionality. And even when you start thinking about, can you explain what a dimension is? It's always been hard for me to understand. Like, what do you mean by that? Like a dimension. If I said, Josh, when you say dimension, what do you mean? Like another dimension? What do you, what do you, how would you explain that to someone? Like, tell me like I'm five, you know, I can so, never understand this shit. I, I love explaining this. Cause I think that, that there's only one way to really explain it. Now in, in the sense of physics, a dimension are things like length, width, height, time, these types of things. They're, they're measurable quantifications. So they're scalar quantifications. So length only has direction. Right. So it's a scalar quantification where a vector is going to have magnitude and direction. Right. So it's these various different scalar points that come together to formulate this basis of spatiality. That's that's kind of how we look at dimension from a scientific perspective. I think in the mental perspective, dimensionality is very similar to those because I think that they're 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 very, very related. But I would explain it like this is that right now we exist at the dimension of 103.5 on a radio dial. And that we can look at that as a high radio station or a low frequency, it doesn't really matter. And that if you go in between the next radio station, you're gonna get dissonance. And then when you get to 105.7, you get another radio station. That's a different dimension. In between that, that's the astral plane. That's the lower dimensionality that they, they talk about, about the, the demons and all that stuff, the dissonant frequencies. And the reason they're dissonant is because we can't tune to them. It doesn't mean that the things there 
aren't in tune with them. There's another radio that's broadcasting on that station that has the receptors to pick it up. We are not. And so I look at dimensionality as frequency and that we are tuned radios and that our bodies, our physicality is a tuned radio and that our spirit is a frequency that's being broadcast and the tuned radio picks up the frequency and that we can attune to various different frequencies that are on our level of octave. We can resonate with all A's, no matter how high or high low, right? And that's just who we are. And so when we talk about dimensionality, that dimensionality is an increasing or decreasing of our vibrational rate of spirit or vibrational rate of being. It's fascinating, dude. I have kind of a different thought process for dimensions, if I may. Go ahead. Please. So the way I look at it is there is the the uh, kind of <clears throat> mathematical way of looking at it, and then there's the reality way of looking at it, because I understand what you mean, David, by it's kind of um, an abstract idea when you try to conceptualize it or put it into words. But from like a scientific standpoint or a mathematical standpoint, one dimension would be like a single point. Mm-hmm. Two dimensions would be like a square or a line or any shape that is flat. Here's the problem. When you're talking about flat in a three-dimensional world like we live in, you can't imagine flat. Flat does not make sense in our reality. So that's where you get this weird weirdness of like, okay, I don't know how to imagine that. And then you say, well, we're in the three dimensions. We're in three dimensions because, you know, you have you have movement in, on your X and Y and Z plane and um, all this stuff. And that's three dimensions. And it's like, okay, so then what's the fourth dimension? That's why it gets confusing again. I don't think we can know. I don't think we could really understand it. So when I think we're talking about the first dimension outside of just that mathematical way, I don't think it's the same thing. And you're right about the problem of us being able to, even though here we are on the third dimension, understanding that there could be a first and second to lead to the third, but we still can't imagine it from the point of view of being in the third. And then to say, let's speculate on the fourth. What if fourth is mind? Like, what if fourth is the consciousness unfolding field, right? The the photon signal. It's like, actually, I love the way you explained it, Josh, too. And also you, Vince. Like, those two explanations together are the best explanations I've heard, like, in terms of trying to get um, something that kind of makes sense. And then I would just ask you this, Josh, when you're talking about the radio frequencies, so the radio is the device that has the ability to pick up the frequency and then you're going to come in and turn the dial and there's the station and then the in between the station etc mm-hmm. is that entire radio and all the signals that the radio is picking up contained within our universe reality or are do you look at it as it's something that is coming from outside right like is it external to the thing you know what I mean? Because that's where we're like, we can't validate anything external well, to our reality. And that goes so we're just to the, speculating. the aspect of what Vince was talking about right? of dimensionality, right? Of the spatial dimensionality. Um, and this is something interesting too, because you just touched on this and maybe this will kind of extrapolate a little bit. Is you said, what if the fourth dimension is mind? What if there was something? And, and right now, what we're, we're experiencing consciousness and awareness and body and spirit and, and the environment what if there was something that actually was producing all of this that existed at a higher dimensionality that we don't even have an understanding, conceptualization, knowledge, or even an inkling 
about right now. That's producing what we perceive as mind. And mind is just a sub, mind is a little cell going beep, beep, beep. And there's a whole other functionality above that that's producing all that action. So when we look at it, mind, we're like, mind is everything. It produces consciousness. Like, it holds the consciousness. This is mind, the hermetics. Mind, it's the mind of God. And mind is this small, little, minute concept compared to the actual truth of what it all is. Is that... Of like what's behind the mind, right? What's yeah. behind the mind is so much bigger. We can't even conceptualize or begin to understand it. That it has nothing to do with anything that we're even perceiving it to be that it's nobody's ever thought the thought before at least in this reality well that's interesting and then it makes me think like so we're the ones turning we're we're expressing this signal we're the radio station that's coming through it's funny you mentioned the fuzz in between because didn't poltergeist the movie yeah. wasn't the screen of the television that she was like hypnotized. It was just the snow, right? Which is the in-between signal. And I've always, this is how I'm thinking about it. My dad is a technical engineer. He used to work for a media company here um, a long time. And then he left because they went totally retarded and woke and all that stuff. And um, But he did that for like many years. And I've asked him, he's a radio tech. He knows how this shit works. He could take it apart and build it again. And I've asked him many times, like, Okay, I have good knowledge of how to work my podcast gear and how to work radios and my television. I know it intricately. I understand the technology. I understand how to turn it on and off, use the stations and work all the gear. But I still like, what the hell is a radio signal? What the hell is that? Like, how are you picking that up? You have equipment that's mm -hmm. picking up something. What's the signal? What is that? Because then you're somehow able to get into the signal and I'm listening to the classical music station or the jazz music or the hip hop or whatever. And so we have devices that are able to be conduits for these signals. Mm. And so I, it's a really good analogy. It always resonated with me that your body and your brain is the, is the radio itself as a conduit for a signal of some kind. Right. And that signal is, I think, what all the ancient scriptures and teachers and buddhas and christ we're talking about um but it's like the matt walsh question but what is that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, well, and that goes back to carl jung and meaning and um it, it goes back to archetypes it goes back that things only are what we perceive them and consensusly agree upon them to be that there's nothing really outside other than what we agree on them to be that blue is only blue and blue only has that meaning of blue because we give it that meaning or there's a relationship like they both exist you have to have the thing that exists for the other thing to make a relationship with it which right. adds something to it right it's not like because there's an there's an issue for me too where we think Okay, our mind are creating our... Okay, here's the thing. When we say your mind creates reality, well, there's a limit to that because I can't create like a Porsche in my front yard right now. I can't just create that, right? I can't do that. I have to actually use my physical body and all my mind and creativity to be able to earn the money to buy a Porsche, right? I can't just manifest a Porsche. So we're not at that level of we create our reality. But there is also a truth to that where you create your experience of reality. So here's the conundrum. And this is a conundrum in philosophy. Kant challenged the whole paradigm with his thing. 
and the material, you know, there was a whole thing that threw it on, on, on the head to say, well, um, if we go to a beach and all three, all four of us are going to go together, we're going to go to the same beach. That beach exists in the location that we all, that's, that's the one we didn't create the existence of that beach by just putting our heads together and going, let's all imagine this perfect beach somewhere and then let's go to it. And we created the beach to go to. That's not what's happening. What's happening is there is an objective reality that we're going to go to, to this beach. But what the creation part is, is that we get to create our experience that we're there. Maybe that morning I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, didn't sleep well, and I kind of in a shitty mood. But Vince, he fucking got 12 hours of sleep. He had a good breakfast. He had a good, you know, he's in the, he's, mm -hmm. birds are singing for Vince, right? And then Josh is just kind of, he's a bit busy in the background. His mind is thinking about the next podcast and he's there, but he's kind of like, he's there's stuff going on. And we all go to the same beach. And even though we're witnessing the same water, the same trees, the same sand, the same sunrise and sunset, and we get our camera with the solar filter and we track the sun and uh, we do it all together. Um, <laughs> we, we're all experiencing the thing differently. And then we're going to go back home and we're going to have a meal and we're going to have a couple of beers and we're going to talk about the experience we had at the beach. And we're all going to add different layers of our experience to it. We all saw the same shit. Like, did you see those birds? Yeah, I saw those birds. But we felt different about it. We were in different moods. Does that make sense? I mean, Vince, yeah. you're nodding. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. Well, it takes me back to my day. I got five hours of sleep. I woke up to a phone call that threw me off balance and ruined my entire day. Had things come up midday, didn't go right. And the whole time I'm angry. And I'm telling myself, like, everything's going to be fine. Why the hell am I angry right now? This is stupid. You know what I mean? Hey, I but it's regardless of understanding this, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of understanding that, I still struggle with finding that balance on my day to day in the heat of the moment of things. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally know what you're saying. But yeah. another version of you on a different day that felt good and had a good morning and someone gave you a bunch of compliments mm -hmm. and you're riding yeah. high, you're like, yeah, you go to the same experience as a different person. Totally. Right. And you're going to decode an experience that's totally different. Right. Josh, explain it. What do you think about this? So isn't that the purpose? That we're all unique unto ourselves. Is that there's nothing in the universe that is the same. Nothing. Nothing. There's not one atom in the universe that is the same. They can't be. They all occupy a different position in space and time. And because of that one mere factor, they're all different in the sense of the point of their creation, their evolution, to, to how they exist. Two, two hydrogen atoms that fuse together from protons in the center of a star are different. They occupy different points of space and time. They came from different various points of atomic nuclei, from various different explosions of other stars billions of years ago. So there's still atoms. They're, that's the commonality. Well, no, they were subquantum expressing... particles. Yeah, they're subquantum particles that came together, and now they formulate new two new protons, uh, hydrogen atoms, right next to each other in the same sun. But everything contained within them came from billions upon billions of years of other explosions of other stars. Hmm. And they all occupied various different po points in time and space. So there's no, no. there's nothing, there's nothing similar about them, other than then what we call them or perceive them to be. They're completely mm. unique unto themselves, just like you, Vince, and me, and everybody in the audience are completely unique unto ourselves. Is that mm. this is how I look at um, the zodiac and astrology? Is think about it in this sense: 
if we take the scientific conceptualization that the universe is expanding, okay, or that time is continuously moving, or that there is some point of where the universe does not repeat space, right? That it's just, it's infinite. So if it's infinite, it's got to be continuously just goes on forever, which means that the day that you were born, right? The day that you came out of your mother's womb, nobody else in the entirety of the universe had that same experience on that day at that time in that position in time and space within the universe with the complete alignment of all the planets of all the things happening on the planet of all the molecular alignments of all the suns and the stars all the constellations all arranged at that exact spot at that exact moment that moment you were born that's completely unique unto you Vince everybody in the audience there's nothing ever that will be that that again Ever. It, it can never happen again like that. That means that me, you, everybody, we are completely unique unto ourselves. And everything in the universe is created by that same process, that complete level of uniqueness. And that brings about this, this idea that everything in the universe is brought about for its own unique experience, its own individualized perception of reality, it, it, its understanding of reality. And I look at it in the sense that if God is infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, then God has no questions to ask because all questions are answered. And if there's no questions to ask, then you know nothing. Because it's the questions that draw in the curiosity, that draw in the, 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 the curiousness, right? The, the, the what if, what is, what happens. But if you are all-knowing, you are infinite, you already know that. So guess what? There's nothing to know. You know nothing. This is why Socrates said, you know, uh, I came to the realization that um, that I know nothing. That I what I do know is that I know nothing. And this is the point: is that when you're in the state of of samadhi or con, or whatever it might be, is you know nothing because you realize you are one with God. You are when you're in that state of one being one with God, you know nothing because there's nothing to know because it, you're you're connected to the infinite. Which means that God had to fracture himself. God had to take consciousness and separate it and put it into levels of uniqueness to experience itself, to learn about itself, to grow. Because that is the only way that growth can come about through an all-knowing mind. is through the experience of itself through various different unique perspectives. At least that's my thought. Infinite. Dude, I got goosebumps a few times during that. I mean, I mean what we should start telling kids this shit. Like, yeah. If you tell, because you you explained what I think a lot of people don't understand when they hold a real deep fear of infinity, right? Infinite, infinite possibility, um, which is what we're up against with the medieval thinking that we see running around the world, where they want to contain it and control it and make it smaller and closer and f- like it, it's a fear. What you've just done is explain it in a way that immediately takes away all fear. It's kind of like the statement made by Alan Watts that I love so much. I put it in my chapter nine where he's talking about the real you. It's one of my favorite videos of all time. I had somebody send a comment after like, yeah, man, Alan Watts is bass as fuck, man. He's awesome. I love Anyways, Alan Watts. He, he came out, he, he, he said, you are something that the universe is doing. You are something that the whole universe is doing, that mind of God that you're talking about. So he said, you, the real deep down you is something that the whole universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something that the whole ocean is doing. Right. Yep. And when you compare to 
This is why the, the naturalists, the people that were observing the creation in order to learn about the creator, that's the difference between the hermetics and I think the Gnostics, in my opinion, although was, there was different sects. Let's not go there. Just the real, the natural philosophers that went, let's study the creation, the Taoists, the Shintoists, whatever. Let's study the creation to learn about the creator. And when you do that, you actually see the microcosm, macrocosm connection. Mm -hmm. And if you watch a wave going across the ocean, and you look at it as there's some kind of momentum, there's something happening where the whole ocean is now affected and almost a part of this dance that's happening. Or you walk into a forest and a wind goes through and all the trees re react to that wind. That's a good analogy to think on the big scale to say that's what your consciousness is doing across the universe. Right. And that signal, that radial signal you're tapping into, that this crystal body that you have is tapping into, to, that has the ability to be a conduit for this photonic light that is the thing that animates the cells and the, all, the, all that, um, that you are what the universe is doing in the same way the wave is what the ocean is doing. Like, and then the way you broke that down gives meaning and significance to the uniqueness of everybody that I feel a lot of people, when they look at the way these materialists describe space and universe and life, it's dead. They they see the vista, but they see it as dead. They don't see it as something. I'm not saying all, but just in the way it's described, you feel like there's no meaning to it. It's just random. It's just chance. But this way, the more mystical way on this side of it is saying, no, it's an unfolding and you are a little capsule of the ocean, like you took a glass and you filled it up with the ocean water, that's still ocean water in you. That's God essence within you. The glass is the physical container holding that water. And that glass is your body. And when that glass decays, gets cracked or breaks, that water goes back to the source. And then it, another glass picks it up. That's another way to look at it, right? So that takes away anxiety for me. That's something that says, no, you looking at because a lot of people feel when i look at the universe and that it, it makes you feel insignificant it's you feel insignificant like, well that's you i don't feel insignificant when i look. i can't wait to go out tonight and look at the stars and see the infinite nature because when i see that infinite nature i'm seeing my infinite nature because i understand the relationship with the as above so below and so man a salute to the explanation because that to me is the explanation that just vibrates my cells with energy whereas the opposite of that is like i'm like oh that's just i can't even that's not it man you know and i think people have it misunderstood well and going to that alan watts quote right is that uh, study the creation and to know about the creator or that uh you know that that one wave is an act of the entire universe now think about this in the sense of that unique point of which you came about the culmination of all events in the universe led up to that one unique moment mm. think about that Right now, this exact thought that you're having right now in your life or in your mind, all the, the events in the entirety of the whole existence of the universe culminated to that one moment, to that one event that just occurred, that one idea that just occurred. And it takes you, it makes you look at not only your life, not only your actions tomorrow or the things that you've done in the past, but that moment right now in this sacred perspective that that it has so much more meaning than we could ever imagine just for that mere fact that that one wave 
that pushes through the ocean or that wind that goes through the trees. That's a culmination of all the ebbs and flows, the cycles, the infinite amounts of time that is expanded within this universe. That all the events, all the stars that had exploded, all the stars and civilizations that ended, all came to that one singular point to where that wind blew over the trees. Because that's the truth. Dang. And we can see it. And then, man, fuck, I just had another explosion here. Sorry, Vince, I want you to go. I just have to say this real quick. Epiphanies. Um, my wife showed me, oh, I'm getting fucking emotional about this. So... I was present for both my children when they were born, right? Yep, One was born in the hospital through the 27 hours of labor. My wife it was her first time. She Her water broke. She was afraid. She, they talked her into Pitocin. And it was like, I thought she wasn't going to survive this birth. That's how crazy it was. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then our second daughter was born at home in our bed in 45 minutes. And my wife was like sweeping the floor one moment, had the baby. We luckily got the midwife and the paramedic there in time to help because otherwise I was the one ready to catch. Yeah. And then my wife had the baby and literally later that night, she was back finishing the stuff she was doing, like just so natural, so beautiful. So I got to see both extremes, right? And it was around that time that she said, I'm going to add another layer of meaning to this for you mm. as, as, the, as the father, okay? And because I was so like, I was like, melting and i was like oh my god it's so beautiful it was so like you know and she shows me this video of the they have 3d imaging now of literally the process from the sperm insemination the sperm the egg the growth all the way to the birth like what happens the forces that have to come together in your body in two bodies coming together the 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 odds like how many sperm are eliminated like right out of the gate it's like star right. wars just <laughs> that the female is just like killing everything and then it's like the only the fast ones get through well some of the fast ones and then you get in yeah. and the process that happens from there when Nathan. you watch it in these 3d these 3d <laughs> recordings and whatever dude adding it on top of that so you were talking about mm -hmm. the preceding stages the preceding stages of all the mechanics and all the energy and of the universe coming together at a singular point in time to make something that otherwise should be impossible possible to produce the moment because sometimes you know you you have sex and there is no baby at the end it just that that didn't work that time right both our kids weren't like planned it just happened that the timing was right and then then you that's the first stage the next stage is what we watch the physical process of cells turning into clumps turning into this turning into the fetus turning into a child coming out of the womb that is just the most intense thing you'll ever watch as a man anyways and then you see the child grow and now they're talking to me these things these things are talking to me what all the abortionists are saying it's just clumps of cells they're not real they're talking to me they're drawing pictures they're coming up with ideas i've never thought before they're, they're doing stuff that's like, I've, I can't even imagine. They're thinking beings, rationalizing on their own, coming to their own conclusions, watching that. You're a father, Josh. Like, and Vince, I don't know. I'm sure you've seen kids and you understand this to some degree, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, it's a freaking miracle. And it works out perfectly. And then you get into like, what an eyeball is. The science, they can't, they can make cameras, they can do stuff, but just, Whatever we are is so far advanced from whatever Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari are going to come up with in terms of that, that conscious awareness. 
that it blows the mind. So if you put all that together, how the hell can you feel insignificant? How the hell can you believe that life has no meaning or purpose? You, you got to be wanting that to be the truth, to believe that after <sighs> hearing what you just said. The magic word. You have to want that to be the truth because it validates a deep down ingrained belief that you have an emotional attachment to that if you didn't have that attachment, the predicate from that would be fear because you don't know. Now, now think about flat earth. Seriously, like now or think anything. about why they hold on to flat earth so much because they're afraid to lose that evidence that they have of God because they can't see any Maybe. other way to logically, rationally understand God. Maybe in some cases. I would say in, in a lot of the cases, at least the people I've talked to, I think that, that, and I don't want to transition this topic because I want to keep on going yeah, on no, this, but in, in some of the flat earthers that I've talked to, they know they're full of shit. They know that they're arguing a mute point and they're just trying to argue with you, the strong arm you, because they're making money off it. Flat Earth Dave. Whereas Nathan, I think Nathan wholly believes everything he's fucking saying because he's a narcissist and he's too dumb to realize otherwise. I think Patrick believes what he's trying to say because I think Patrick has a dogmatic connection to that belief that brings him closer to God. But here's the thing is I like that that expansion right there, right? I like how I, I, I put that together because it was a deep thought that came to me one time on LSD a long time ago is that I remember I was, I was tripping on acid and I'm sitting there and I'm watching everything just kind of breathe. And I remember a voice inside my head saying, you were witnessing the culmination of all the events that have occurred in the entirety of existence happen right now before you. Hmm. And it's just, it's so profound to think about it that way. That if the universe is a being and it's breathing, that, that, that one breath that you just experienced was the culmination of that whole meiosis, mitosis process of the cells coming together, bringing together, clumping together, forming the fetus, the fetus growing, getting nurtured by the mother, coming out of the womb, becoming a baby, learning to write, read, write, and draw art and everything like that, to breathe one day, to just exhale and have a, a breath of happiness or joy. That the culmination of the, all the events that had to happen occurred before that. that. That the uniqueness of Every single one of those events that occurred before that, completely unique unto themselves. Those events will never happen again. The individualization of those events, the atoms, the, the subquantum particles, the stars, the suns, the space, whatever it might be, will never ever be in that position. The, 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 the structure of the universe, how it was formed at that point in time during every single one of those infinite moments that came before that will never be that way again. Think about it. Is that if everything's in constant motion, nothing is ever going to be in that same spot ever again, which means that it was aligned in a certain way at every single moment of being that, that it's, it's hard to extrapolate this, that the entire universe in its infinite perspective is continuously 
morphing and converging into more unique and unique configurations that will never exist again except for that simple moment in time and space, which makes those simple moments in time and space more unique than we can ever imagine. Beyond comprehension. And this is why I believe in God. Because how can you not after understanding that? Yeah. And I don't think that would be possible without the nature of the macro scale and micro scale of infinity, which just totally trips me out. It is trippy, man. Like it's, it's like, it's way bigger than our comprehension, but yet here we are trying to comprehend it. Here we are having even the imagination to even think of it as being something to comprehend. I know I'm getting all fucking weird here, but that's, it's the way mind is. It's the way we are. It's like, who's observing the observer? Like we're observing something, right? We're looking through our eyeballs and we're watching reality, but in, you have this ability to be like, to be able to almost like witness yourself witnessing. Have you ever seen that where you mm -hmm. can almost zoom out? I've had only uh, one moment in my life where I think I popped out of my body. And it was during my third degree black belt exam. We were seven hours in. It was grueling because it was very hard, but it was also had to be very technical the whole time. And I was at a point of like physical breakdown. I literally felt at this point, I was broken down so much. I was so exhausted. It's like the end of a marathon where I wanted to just sit down on a clump on the floor and just like go to sleep and just fucking get away. And it was at that moment, I think I even asked my coach, I'm like, can I just, I just need 30 seconds. And he's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I'm going to throw up right now. You know, that was my mind. And so I went, all right. And I had to do this like really complex, uh, it was like a cicada or something. And it's also kind of dangerous because they were like real size. And yeah. I'm like, if they slip out of my hand, I'll take someone's eye out. So I'm like, all right, I have to focus and do this. And as I do it, I almost felt like in order for me to stay standing right now, I'm so exhausted. I have to like channel another part of myself. So I'm like, all right, just go. Like, imagine you're fresh. Like, I was just like, imagine you're fresh. And as soon as I started doing it, I, my body started to just give out on me. And in that moment, I remember a moment where I was literally looking down at myself. I was literally looking down at the top of my head. I saw the whole room crystal clear for a brief moment. And then I went, oh, it's, it freaked me out so much. I remember feeling while I'm like mid kata that I like, I, I felt like I just woke up again. I was like, oh, I'm back. Like that, that was the weirdest. That was the closest I got to it. Now my daughter, my oldest daughter, She's been telling my wife and I for like four years now that she has what she calls, I feel like I'm looking at myself mm. and it freaks me out. And she's like, I feel like I'm catching up to my body sometimes. And I also feel like I'm ahead of my body sometimes. Like she'll say, she's been talking about this stuff for a long time. And as I hear her talk, I, I, I always just try to talk to her and try to understand, but I always think back to that experience that I had. And I always wonder, I'm like, I wonder if you're kind of coming in and out sometimes or, or something, I don't know. But has anybody in the chat had this? Have any of you guys ever had that where you feel literally like you popped out of your body? Yeah, it's like non-locality. Yeah, yep, like yep. without LSD, like without any of that. Like yep. I'm sure that can trigger it, but like Vince, have you ever had any like a weird thing like that? Uh, yes. In a waking moment. Um, I don't think so. It just reminds me of zoning out kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I don't yeah. think so. I've had it a few times in life. Um, I used to have it all the time when I was a younger kid, but, um, 
I can remember clearly I was playing guitar one day. I was like this and I was completely sober and you had this moment where everything kind of like, like shuddered in towards the moment, not towards the guitar, but towards the moment. And you were like, you're there observing you there, but not there. It's, oh, I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. And like, you're like, and then you come in and you're like, it's like you're, you're popped back into reality. Um, and also in that moment, it's as if time was like, whoa, holy shit. I just, hmm. it's so long. And then like, yeah, sudden, time doesn't exist or something right. for a moment. You lose time or you gain time. Yeah, I've had like that. In the, like in a flow state kind of deal. Right. Yeah, flow state. There you go. I've experienced the flow yeah, state too. For sure. And music yeah, too. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Music? Yeah. Music definitely does it too. But I've had multiple it. out-of-body experiences. And so I've used like the hemi, the uh, 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 the Monroe Institute's Hemisync. I got the actual CDs. Those things are fantastic. Shaman, I think it's called Shamanic Dreams. Oh, probably one of the best freaking, if you want to have a, um, an out-of-body experience, get this actual CD from the Monroe Institute, Shamanic Dreams, if you can still find it. And that thing will take you on a journey in your fucking mind. I guarantee you, you'll have an out-of-body experience. I used to put headphones on. I worked in the military, and so in the, uh, at nighttime, I worked the overnight shift. And all I did is sat in a chair and, and, and watch videos and study and read. And this is kind of where I got a lot of this education from. And I'd go in there some nights, and I'd just put on my headphones, and I'd sit in my chair like this, put my head back, and I'd just close my eyes, and I'd just listen to the music. And one day, I remember, I'm sitting there, and I kind of open my eyes, and I can see everything like i can see the people behind me i can see them walking around i can see everything out here and like my 360 eyes, 360 my eyes are seeing but my eyelids are closed and it's like it was like looking through a foggy lens of my eyelids Weird. and like i'm bouncing inside my body like i want to go but here is the craziest thing and i i know the sound too is my whole you ever like fell asleep like had your arm fall asleep and when it comes back it's like tingling yeah okay that sensation was over my whole body except for the fact that it was not only that sensation but it was like the sound loud it? Oh. oh it was loud massively loud and it was like pulsating you could hear the pulsation and you could feel it and when i looked at my arms and my body it was like, it's like being on LSD in the sense that you could just see the vibration of it. And I remember feeling all of this and I'm there and I'm like, and like, I, I'm not thinking about breathing or anything like this, but I'm thinking about what is this? This is, this is like, I got, I got stuck in between consciousness. Oh shit. There's something wrong with the system. But I remember being able to see and uh, something said, just, just move forward, move forward, launch forward. And I remember I kept it like, I felt like I was hitting the inside of my body. And next thing I know, I, I like, I kind of blinked, but like not with my eyelids. And I was at the edge of the wall, standing up at the edge of the wall. And I didn't look back at my body, but I'm standing at the edge of the wall and I can see it right now in my head. And I look at the wall and I go to push through it. And it's not a wall. It's just kind of like this, this blue mist that kind of moves when I touched it and I walked into it and it was just this, this kind of 
I call it the Matrix. I don't know. This is just what it is for me. But it was kind of this room that has this very, very light blue mist. And you walk around it and there's this ambience of music playing. But you can't, you can't listen to the music. You can't hear it. You can't hum it. But you hear it and you feel it. You, can, you, you, can, you know it's there. But when you try to focus on it, it, it it's like not there, if that makes sense. Mm. And the, the feeling in this place is just incredibly peaceful. But it, it just felt massive and infinite. And so it was just, think about like in the Matrix when he loads the construct. Right. And it's just nothing but white space forever and ever. It was just like this kind of bluey, misty space. And I remember kind of like closing my eyes and I, I, I saw this this figure in front of me in Lotus, kind of his position, hands like this in Lotus. And it was hovering above the mist of the air and kind of like connected between two points. And uh and he opens his eyes and kind of just, I remember just having this, this communication with it. And next thing I know, it's like, boom, back in my body. I'm like, <gasps> like, what the fuck just happened? Um, so either it's like the most vivid dream you've ever had or you popped out. Right. Or I popped out. And I've had others like this. So I had another one where um, went through the blue mist and I came um, it, it was like swimming through space. Like, do you remember like those old seventies and eighties porns movies where they had the, like the backdrop of, of space and they had like the lights and stuff. It was like going through an eighties porn background scenery and you're like kind of fishing through it. Right. And, but it was, wait, this is a past life experience. It sounds no, like. no, this is, the this past is porn life. Yeah. Past <laughs> porn life experience. This is legit as shit. This is an experience I had. And this is the one, one of the most profound. This is one of the one of experiences that I learned the most about a lot of this stuff that I talk about. And for my, most of my life, it's been unfolding. It's been unraveling this message of what I've learned. And every time I go back to this point in my mind, more things come out of it. And I remember it was like I was in this space, the blue misty space, and I could see the stars and I move towards the stars and it's like the porn stars. Like you, you like they, they're not real. They're like lights, but you can't touch them. You can't see them. You can't grab them, but you can, you can, you can sense them. And I remember getting up there and I remember just looking out what I believe to be infinite, infinity, the infinite. And you hear the hum of the music, the music it's there. And I got this feeling and the feeling was, is that I was in the presence of God. That I was in the knowingness of God during this time. And this is where I come about in the sense that um, I got excited. Like, I'm like, whoa. And you're, you're overwhelmed with, like, it's not emotion. It's just gratitude. I, I don't even know how to. It's just the m most immense gratitude that you've ever had in your life for being, for existence. There's no, like... You don't want anything in return. You just want to feel that mm. feeling of gratitude. It's, it's, it's immense. And you're there and you realize that you're in the mind of the all or everything that knows everything. And I started realizing like everything that was popping in my mind, there, there was no question. It was just, I knew it. Like anytime that I thought of something, it was there. Like the answer, the, not only the answer is like, 
like you, you would think of a tree and the tree would break down into atoms and subatomic particles and then this would be string vibrations and you would see everything in, in an instance all for what it really was. And it was at this moment that I realized what Socrates meant when he says the one thing that I have learned is that I know nothing. Because when you're very humble, it's a humbling experience. Right. Because when you're in that presence, there's no questions to ask. Because you, you, you're, you know everything. You can think or perceive anything, and it unravels in front of you. And you completely understand it, and you have this immense feeling that it, it, it's all okay. It, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But I realized that, and, and if I asked other people who've had similar experiences the same question, and I said, okay, so you've been there, so tell me, what questions did you ask when you got there? And this one woman that I talked to, she's an LGBTQ, one second, Vince, she said, there are no questions to ask because you're in the mind of God that knows everything. So therefore there's no questions to ask. And she goes, that's the, why we're here. That's the purpose of existence. It's because God, God is, but God can't know because God is all knowing. God is the encompassment of all knowing. God is the absolute. And this is the, the lesson that I've learned from it is that if God is the absolute, then it can't experience because it is all experience. It can't individualize the experience because the moment it individualizes, it's everything around the individualization. And so it has to separate itself through these various unique experiences. At least this is how I try to understand and conceptualize it in my three-dimensional monkey brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. really well said. Yeah. Vince, what Dude, were you going to say? I've had an experience like that. Um, okay, let's hear it. High on mushrooms in the mountains. Uh, I remember just standing there and realizing all of a sudden that same thing. I had the answer to anything that came across my mind. So I started asking myself questions. What's the answer to this question? What's the answer to this question? What's the answer to this question? And just right away, boom, boom, boom. And I got to that point too, where I was just like, okay, okay. What's the meaning of life? Boom. And it's just like, I don't, I'm not going to tell you like, oh, here's the meaning of life. I know it. But I ask profound questions like this, deep questions, questions that are like um, simple questions too. Like, should we do this? Should we do that? I don't remember exactly. It was a long time ago. And obviously I was really high and um, I don't know, but I remember going through a series of questions, knowing the answers immediately and then just coming to uh, just stopping, just being like, you don't need. Yeah, exactly. Like there's nothing you need to ask. Just chill. Yeah. Just be enjoy yourself. Yeah. So that you didn't feel any fear. No. I felt, uh, I don't know, like a profoundness or I don't know. The only thing I can match it to is gratitude. Just, have you ever had such an immense gratitude for somebody that it overwhelms you and you begin to cry or have emotion? Like like when, when my kids oh, yeah. were born, when my kids right, were born, yeah. right? Like the moment your, 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 your child comes out, it's, it's not love. It's just this immense gratitude for being, right? And... You, you have this love as well, but I mean, it, there's this, it, it's that, it's like you have this emotional reaction, but for me, it was gratitude. I, I just don't know how else to explain it. It's like beyond words. Like uh, I've had moments like this, like glimpses of that. And then there was one time they were passing around some tea, some mushroom tea yeah. at this backyard party. Amanita muscarella. 
I don't even know. They're just like, Hey, we're having some mushroom tea. I was like, yeah, like you're just having a party. Okay. This is great. And it was like one of those backyard parties. It was like a fire going and stuff. And actually I got one of the best UFO stories on film at the, after this, after, after everybody kind of came back to earth, um, some friends of mine that I, again, knew for a few years, I'd never known that they had a mass sighting, multiple mass sightings of these crazy UFO experiences. And so I got them to tell me at least a few of them. And I think it's actually that story is on my Rockfin playlist of Are We Alone? I have it on there. But anyways, I remember I had this mushroom tea. It was the first time I'd ever tried mushrooms. Um, With the tea, it wasn't like one of those things where you're blasted out of the stratosphere. You're just a constant like growing where your body's vibrating a bit. And then you're, it's like your brain stem starts to vibrate. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, mm, and suddenly you feel like you can feel everything around you all of a sudden. And I, I already have experimented with this in my martial art training through putting the body through grueling experiences to try to experience that same thing. So it felt familiar to me that this first time. And that's why I'm saying like, it wasn't like the mushrooms were influencing me. It was like it, it was pulling down a few gates that are normally there with the logical mind. And then like, you're getting a more raw signal of whatever you are. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. That's, that's how it. I felt. That, that's great. So it wasn't like crazy, crazy. I was still having conversations with people. I knew where I was and exact. Actually, I felt more clear than ever. There was zero fog of anything. And then I remember finding myself sitting in the grass by myself. I had to like get away from people. I didn't want to be around people. Mm-hmm. Get away, sit by myself. And I just start like, I couldn't stop just feeling the grass. And then I'm sitting by this tree and I'm like, I felt when I looked at this tree, this is going to sound so hippie, but I look at this tree and I'm like, we go way back, (laughs) you know, like like I meant in terms of an essence, like you feel a connection to things you don't feel. There's a barrier that's been removed all of a sudden. And then I start every, I've had it only a couple times since I'm not, I don't do it. I just, it was like three times in my life. Mm -hmm. And, but I remember like, as I was starting to kind of come back to even more normal feeling, I'm walking around and I'm feeling like my best self. Like Mm -hmm. I feel very confident, but not arrogant. I feel very at peace with myself. I feel very sure of myself. I feel like there's nothing to fear. I feel like I can do whatever I need to do. But at the same time, that feeling of gratitude and humility is also there. It was the weirdest experience ever. And then as I'm starting to come in and I'm like seeing like purple around people and like energy and shit, they come up and they're like, Dave, they're talking about UFOs over there. I bet you'd be in, you should go talk to them. I'm like, Oh, perfect timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go sit down and that's when I start recording this interview with these people. And I was so clear. There was no fuzz. There was no nothing. And so maybe the final thing I'll bring up then is what do you think happens when we die after we bring all that in? What is that process? Uh, what, what's your speculation? Go ahead, Vince. Man, I don't know. I think that I really have no idea. But I do think that things continue on. I think that energy lives on. I think something happens beyond my comprehension. No idea. Yeah, that's a, that's fair, man. I think. Um, I think I look at it like a system, a system that's evolving. I think some of those systems um, are like the leaves on a tree, 
right? We've, we've seen this analogy before where the tree gets ready for winter and it pulls all the nutrients, all the water, all the chlorophyll out of the leaf back into the tree. The leaf falls off and dies. The tree begins to bud. And then that spring, those buds, the new leaves, get injected with that old life from those old leaves. But the tree's growing a little bit stronger and a little bit bigger. And the leaves are more healthy and these types of things. And that's one perspective. And I think that that's kind of like the renewal of the soul on this planet is that we have reincarnation. We have evidence of that, that souls die. And, and a few weeks later, they're being reborn again on this planet. Um, but then I also think that some of those souls don't. I think that they're, they might be reborn in a different version, a different realm, a different dimension. Um, some people... You know, they, they've achieved that level up bonus and they go to the next one. And so when you die, all of a sudden you're sitting there going, whoa, what is this? Is this heaven? I see the light. And you start moving towards the light and it's just another pussy you're coming out of. Right. And you're going through that tunnel and all of a sudden <laughs> nice. you're looking up and there's, you know, like, damn, this, I got earth again. Damn well, it. No, no. You come out and it's a different planet and, 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 and it's a different star system, but it's a human, right? Like. Who knows? And that's the beauty of it. And it's another mystery. It is. It is a mystery, but I think it's one of those that we can all say that there's a very, very slim chance that it's a cold, dark sleep. I agree. Remember uh, that was another Alan Watts, brilliant video where he was talking about that. And he was like, children even think about this, about, am I just going to get locked up in a dark room forever when, my body dies, but he's like, but think about that. That's not an experience because his, his belief is that this unfolding consciousness has to experience because that's mm. the purpose. Yeah. So to say that your experience ends and that's the end and it's just a, a dark room, Doesn't make any that's sense. not an experience. So that can't happen because energy cannot die. Your body can die. Matter can decay and change and rot. But the, the animation, the thing that lights up your eyes, that photon spark, that can't die. That's just going to reorder itself. And I was listening to Bill Donahue about this. And if you go to his website, hidden, I think it's what hidden meanings. I think it's hidden something. Meanings, yeah. Hidden meanings. I'm going to look it up right now. Cause I would just want to pull up this one thing that blew my freaking mind in this relation that he brought up and he did a little, yeah, it's he did a little book on this. Let me just find the site. Here it is. Here's the site. So it's uh hidden meanings.com. That's it. Hidden meanings.com. A lovely man. I, I'm not, I think he's still alive. I can't remember. But if we go, I'm just going to look. If you keep scrolling down, he's got all these things. He talks about light. He does a lot of esoteric analysis on all the religions. Like he, He's a wealth of knowledge. And then he does something on death. Mm. And he talks about... Um, how when there was there's like all the, he compares it with what the ancient mystics said and then also what modern science is discovering and they found out something to do with it almost operates like a door in the right brain mm -hmm. that what you call you the spirit literally passes through at the moment of death which is why people see all this shit in their memory and their life passes before them and there's this instant total recall moment at the moment of death that's because you're literally exiting stage right. Right brain is where that information gets contained. And then he said, you 
based on the quantum particle experiments, um, it, 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 what does he say? It's uh, quantum teleportation. The quantum particle teleports three feet away every single time, every single time. And it takes the characteristics of the entanglement that it's involved. It's like the entanglement of the particle. Mm -hmm. It takes those characteristics and it reanimates three feet away. Something like that. I'm probably butchering it. Go to the site and hear it from him because he he brings up all the science to it as well, right? Biocentrism, how life and consciousness are the keys to understanding the nature of the universe. The author is Robert Lanza. The theory implies that death simply does not exist. It's an illusion that arises in the minds of people. It exists because people identify themselves with their bodies in the first place. They believe that the body is going to perish sooner or later, thinking that their consciousness will disappear too. According to Lanza, consciousness exists outside of the constraint of time and space. It is able to be anywhere in the human body and outside of it. That fits well with the basic postulates of quantum mechanics, according to which a certain particle can be present anywhere and an event can happen in several sometimes countless ways lanza believes that multiple universes can exist simultaneously these universes contain multiple ways for possible scenarios to occur in one universe a body can be dead in another it can continue to exist absorbing consciousness migrated from another universe so this means that that's very similar yeah through well i got it off of his website so oh right yeah yeah because it's called the article's called an electric door in your head. Yep. So this means okay. that while traveling through the t- through the tunnel, a dead person ends up in a similar world but is alive. And so, okay. So and that's actually a cool article. I want to read that later. But go ahead. You got the article right there? Yeah, this one. This is it. Let me just give you the quick synopsis. Because yeah, then it. he also, what what's cool about him is he then goes into the Bible and he tells you, he's like, okay, here's the information. Here's what I'm postulating. And then here's the scriptures, right? And we, what direction is talked about as being the correct direction, the right path, the right path, the righteous path, right? They call it the righteous path. And the righteous path, when you get to the etymology, you understand where we get the word right and left. And the right, the right brain, he's hinting at it as they're giving you a hint at how consciousness works and what happens for the whole transcendental nature of the soul. So here's the synopsis. He goes, out of body, an electric door in your head. Before you study this page, please keep something in mind. The references to the right side have nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that the right hemisphere operates the left side of the body and the left operates the right. It has nothing to do with a person, whether a person is right-handed or left-handed. It has to do with the fact that science has now proved that the doorway out of the human body is the right angular gyrus located in the right hemisphere of the brain. This makes references to the right hand, the right side, very important in ancient scripture. How the right and left hemispheres affect the body is relevant to the physical, visible body. And this report is concerned with the right hemisphere and the non-physical invisible. It has nothing to do with the physical, but has to do with what we too refer to as spirit. So here he goes. Some out-of-body scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're talking about out-of-body experiences like what you just described, Josh. Right. Second Corinthians 12, 3. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. So you're talking about how you, you couldn't hear, you knew the vibration of sound was present, but you couldn't quite pin it down, right? Yeah. So then... 
he's like, we've been accelerating our understanding of ancient scripture and meditation because of the continuing buildup of violent behavior being demonstrated by people on earth in general and governments and religions in particular. So he's going through the whole thing about life. And then I want to see, okay, Bible on the right side. As we have studied, we have found that the scriptures, both in the New and Old Testament, direct us to the right side. As we have studied, we have concluded that all the biblical stories are mythologically speaking of the brain-mind and the need to seek out the right side in meditation. There is a constant drumming from ancient scripture admonishing us that the tree of life, the holy of holies, of the temple, the garden of evil, or garden of Eden, and the very presence of what we have called God is there at the right side or the right hemisphere of the brain-mind. We are told to take no thought to watch, to practice the single eye. This is from the, in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Okay. The book of Matthew uh, is talking about how it says, when you let your eye be single, your body will be filled with light. Right. And then when you understand what that light is, especially as it's been translated from the ancient Hebrew and Aramaic and what we think of light and all that, the impact of that is that, well, when they said in the Bible it, in John, actually, it says specifically what God is. They tell you exactly what God is, and it says it. It says God is light, mm-hmm. period. Then Jesus comes in later and goes, I am the light of the world, and no man comes to the Father light but through me. But then Jesus also says later, ye are the light of the world. Everything I can do, you can do, and greater the kingdom of heaven is within. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. So when you put that all together, Jesus is saying, God is light, I am light, I am the messenger, and you are also light. So there has to be a relationship between those three things. So what Bill Donahue does is he takes the quantum entanglement experiment and he shows the map of it where you have three particles interacting together in this experiment that they did in Austria or wherever they did it. Mm-hmm. And one of the particles, it's they're shooting the particle down to what they call a beam splitter to try to um, get the entanglement process to happen, right? So they shoot the one particle. It's called the messenger particle. And he's like, imagine that's us. And we're shooting. This is the our desire to connect to God, to spirituality, to truth. That's a thought that we're all having. What is thought but electrons firing in the brain? Light. What are electrons firing in the brain? It's light. Your brain is lighting up. It's quantum uh, photon light that's charging, and it's putting a signal out that's like that radio trying to make a connection. That's you turning the dial, okay? So that one messenger particle hits the beam splitter. It then splits up, but they found that when that one particle went out, it just kept returning. It It wasn't making any connection. So they had to now take an entangled particle, so two particles tangled together, and fire it into a different beam splitter at the same moment they fire the base photon particle. Mm -hmm. And what happens is automatically, every single time, one of the entangled particles up here, only one of them goes down and the other goes up. Hmm. So as the one goes down, it meets that initial particle, which or that initial photon, which is you. So Jesus comes down from heaven to earth to meet with man and then they entangle and then it carries it up to the other particle that had gone upwards that's the god particle in this analogy he's just mm-hmm. he's making the analogy of the experiment with what the scripture is saying because they're saying god is light and you are light so they're trying to explain it in their language 
when you add science, this is what we find. So you're the one particle. The only way that that particle goes anywhere and does quantum teleportation and achieves eternal life or whatever word you want to use is when it's met by another particle that's entangled with almost like the alpha particle. Right. And then it carries it up to heaven to be with God. So, so it was just like a metaphorical reason? way of breaking down the story of what the Bible's saying in terms of like quantum photonic entanglement particles and shit. It was pretty but, interesting. So is that an idea? Is it a thought that's getting entangled that brings it up there? That's yes. So that's what he's saying is that's why you have to either, either meditate or pray. That's why right. prayer is so important. And that's why when they would pray, they bring the 10 together, the five, the two fives, five over five oh. becomes 10. And then when those, especially the, the, uh, the, what happens when you put the tips of your fingers together, yeah. they're saying you're connecting all the nerve endings into one. And there's a certain unification of the left and right hemisphere of the brain when that happens. And you'll actually notice there's a lot of like people, like when they're sitting in deep discussion or whatever, they'll bring their hands together, the tips of their fingers together. I even used to work for a guy who was like selling these vacuum cleaners and he had this weird thing where he was like, you got to get yourself aligned before you do a sales pitch. And the best way to do that is to sit for five minutes with the tips of your fingers together before you go into the sales pitch. Because what it does is it grounds you, it realigns you, and it aligns your brain so you're not running all over the place. And dude, I just started doing this before podcasts. And all of a sudden, I don't even know half the time what I'm saying and just shit comes out. Yeah. And apparently people keep tuning in. I don't know. But... I, I, I started doing that and then I found that there's a whole system from the East, uh, from the Shinto, Taoist, etc., yogi, even the India, Indian tradition, where they do these hand, um, these hand, there's like hand yoga mudras. and they just form these mudras, what's this? mudras. The mudras. that's right. Now there's the weird, wacky version of this, but the simple version of it is it's Every time your hands are touching, the nerves are going through and there's actually a communication with the brain. Yep. So you put you put these different patterns together with your hands that when you do it, they would say every time you make a new symbol with your hands, you think a thought and you keep repeating the symbol of the hand form with the thought form. And when you meditate on them, say you come up with like three good ones and then yep. eight and then 10 and then 12, you can actually hack the process of your brain by doing this. This is their belief. Um, they do it in like ninjutsu and stuff yeah, like that. I was about that. to tell it's, you, is in ninjutsu. So yeah. I took, um, um, so I, I started with Tatsu Do and I went to what they would call ninja Ru or right, ninjutsu. And we had one teacher in the, in the area. We went to, me and Tommy, and we left Tatsu Do. We're like, fuck that, we're gonna be ninjas. And the first thing that you learn as a white belt when you sit down with these guys is the various hand signals. And so one is you're in your meditation stance and you bring up the rising sun. And they tell you, when you bring up the rising sun, imagine the thought in your mind of the sun rising in the morning and coming to the noon time of its strength, of its vigor, of its br brilliant light. And this is where you want to be at the beginning of your training. Dude, well, yeah. I think it's really a a complex Pavlov's dog scenario yeah. where it's a psychological phenomenon sometimes referred to as anchoring where we yes. use the same symbol every time you have the feelings, the emotions and the yep. thoughts. And just by simply doing that symbol, 
you bring those back, especially as you keep doing them over and over and over again. So yeah, I think they're yeah on a very exactly that's like a very practical way and what it does is that's part of your training so that you can give yourself actually when we train we do a lot of repeated movement because you're trying to get the body to always respond in that way so you don't have to think you have to eliminate thinking they call it motion and it's not that you're eliminating logical thought it's that things are coming at you so fast in a live combat situation that you don't have time to think and calculate wind speed and do the trigonometry of the angle of the sun of the fist coming into your head. You literally just have to act. And so in order to, you have to repetitively learn, block that punch, block that punch, block that punch, close your eyes. Oh, he hit me. Close Paint my defense, eyes. Next Daniel. time I blocked it. Paint yeah, defense, exactly. Daniel. <laughs> or in blood sport. You remember when he makes him like serve tea blindfolded and yeah. shit, and he tries to hit him when he's blindfolded. Like we used to do a lot of that stuff. And so all this is to say that we have the ability to train our minds and train our bodies and to, and to uh, like how a lot of times they mirror it off nature. Yeah. Like the rising sun, you want to feel that same feeling and associate that form with that feeling so that every time you do that form, say you're having a bad day or you're out of your mojo, you're not in your flow state to get in the flow state. You activate it by the movement that you've associated with the yep. thought form. Now you're there. You're in the your 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 flow state is kicked on. This but is now, there's a lot of tricks to this. But now take this into context. For thousands of years, practitioners of the same art, mystery school, secret society have done the one symbol and bring it up with the same thought pattern is now ingrained in the fabric of time and space that connects you through the utilization of that when you connect with it with yourself to all that lineage of knowledge, of feeling, of understanding. Right. In the past. And then they can, because we, these are just, this system is amoral. It's not good or bad. It's not anything. It's just a, a system. Yep. This means this is the magic sorcery angle where knowing how to channel this energy and work it and train yourself and realizing that all is mine, you can create good or bad with that knowledge yeah. so you can take all the symbols they're using that everybody's like oh my god it's the all-seeing it's that oh you just did the okay symbol you must be in the illuminati these kind of things that all came they're all mudras they're all from the east they're all tibetan they're all mystical ancient stuff that they picked up when the templars and the um all these groups were all over in the east they picked this all up and they brought it in and they integrated it into masonry and off we go so that, that the knowledge base is just a knowledge base of how to manipulate nature and uh, and to train yourself but you can use it for good or bad. So let's just say that. But to bring it back to what Bill Donahue's pointing out, there's levels in the meditation game. It's not just sitting there, closing your eyes and thinking about nothing. A lot of it's very active meditation and it's about thinking about thought, mm -hmm. right? And that what that does is it gets things moving in the, in the brain and Betten, it guides you to the right brain Betten, where you can actually create full three-dimensional structures in your dreams, in your mind, and you're literally training your brain to have a better Wi-Fi signal to that force that is you, right? Yeah. So what the so he's saying the Bible and all these ancient texts are just little pieces of this knowledge of literally how to turn your body into the best Wi-Fi connection possible, <laughs> so that you can connect to you can bring heaven to earth, you can realize the as above so below, you can activate the inner kingdom, and you can. Um, 
you can then be a, a real conduit for what we call God. So he, the way he breaks this stuff down and then he goes into this is what happens when you die. And it's all there in these ancient texts. And they're finding out a lot of these things in some interesting scientific experiments. And they've even done a lot in the whole reincarnation thing in a scientific way. And I know it's not all proven, but it really makes you think like a right door, an electric door in your right brain. That's where you exit stage right when the oh, time is up. Stage and right. I, love that. I mean, think about some of the experiences some of these people have had either through meditation, through deep thought or through some LSD or whatever. It all seems to line up. I don't know. What do you think? So I, I loved when you asked about the etymology of it, right? Is because the word left etymologically, I mean, remaining past tense, past particle to leave, right? Oh, like so, what's left over? Yeah. Right. What's left over the left hand side, the, the opposite of right, the left. Um, so if we look at kind of, I'm looking for the etymological root of this word on the left hand side, adjacent military formations, political sense. Uh, it's not really giving me the, oh, there we go. So old English, when estra, left hand, literally friendlier, a euphemism for superstitiously to avoid invoke. Listen to this, a euphemism used superstitiously, superstitiously to avoid invoking the unlucky forces connected with the left side. So this uh -huh. is the left hand, right? But what's right or considered conspicuous, um, so the better one, so it's kind of ego if you want to look at it like that, right? Then right is for an elite or of actions, just, good, fair, in conformity with moral law, proper, fitting, according to standard, rightful, legitimate, lawful, correct in belief of persons of their character, dispose of what's good or just, also literal, straight, not bent, direct, being the shortest course. Isn't that. it weird that we associate a direction like... Yeah. Right, right ascension, going in, I'm going to turn right at this street. We we think of a direction and it also in the same language means correct behavior or moral or virtuous or righteous yeah. or the path right. of right, the shield of righteousness, like or take it as a metaphor. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Vince. I was just saying, just adding to the, the etymology is it's also like get right over here. It's just weird. Yeah. Like, just think of our language, our language, dude. When you start thinking about the meaning and etymology of words, like, because what are words? Like, there's people, I, I always thought this is fast. This is what blows my mind as a kid. I'm like, okay, so I'm learning English. Lovely. Mm -hmm. There's people that know French. There's people that know Chinese. So we're all talking. We're all communicating, but we're using different words. Like, I, that always blew me away. I'm like, why aren't we all speaking the same language? Why is there, like, Swedish and German and Dutch and Chinese and English, so many languages. And everybody in that language can understand what we're saying. And that's just the vehicle of expression. But if I don't speak that language, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Right. But we're just talking, we're just making sounds. And then even language, the languages were all symbols to start with. We were scrawling on cave walls. We interviewed a really fascinating guy in Unslaved who went to France and found like the oldest petroglyphs and hieroglyphs and cave writings in the world and he decoded what he thinks the story is telling and and then it evolved into what hieroglyphs and kanji and then even the hebrew language from which a lot of other languages were derived was apparently just them putting a staff in the sand with a crystal on it 
and the shadow or the, the sun would go through and cast shadows on the sand and it would make these symbols because of the the shape of the crystal and from those symbols in the sand were born the hebrew alphabet like that's wow. that's like the esoteric occult mystery school story of how hebrew came to be that's pretty cool. and then you look at the egyptian hieroglyphs and then you look at the Japanese and Chinese kanji systems. Right. And then you look at the petroglyphs that I can go. There's places where uh, ancient First Nations tribes here in Canada still have petroglyphs carved all over this place. And you think about it, you go, we first saw the image of God, the image of nature, the image of a word. We started to create images to relay concepts. And then we started eventually developing more of the left brain which was much more analytical more specific and that's where our languages evolved into like even in japan you have the ancient kanji which one symbol means all kinds of shit yeah. but then there's the katakana which which is very left brain it's very like the mathematics the, the the logical stuff so it's amazing to think about even how language was formed from symbols i actually have a um uh the wood painting, so it's like the pieces of wood, so it's got one, and then it's threaded together. Um, I got it in Japan, but it's the 101 ways to say love in Japanese. And so it's the 101 ways to write love in kanji. And so they oh don't God. have one <laughs> wow. way to write. So we write love, love. They have 101 kanji characters that represent love. All different wow. types of love, like love for yourself, love for a friend, love for a brother, love for a mo It's all different. It's all expressed. Like Greek. The Greeks yeah. had the agape, the filio, all the different kinds of right. love. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this up, too, because we were talking about right in etymology. So when I started studying the Lima, Thelma, uh, Alistair Crawley, not studying, but researching into it, this is when I learned something about magic that was just mind-blowing. It has everything to do with what Bill Donahue was saying is if you go into the history of the Lima or Thelma, what you begin to realize is that Aleister Crawley, after he stole all the, the documents from the, the Golden Dawn, went on his old, he created the, the Law of One, uh, the Law of One material. He, um, he went up to his place in Scotland, and this is where he channeled the ancient Egyptian pharaoh. And they say how he did it and why he went and bought the place in Scotland. And they said that he had to open a channel. And they talk about it is that he had to open a channel with, so he had to open a channel. And the way he opened the channel is he had to orient himself. Okay. And they say the word orient is we orient our direction. We, the, from the ancient right. Eastern orient, right? Is it meant nothing to do? This is where you could traditionally find the traditions, the the occultism stuff like that is from the East or from the Orient. Think about that for a second. Where do you find the ancient mystery schools, the traditions from the East, from the Orient? Right. If you're going north, which way is east? Right. Hmm. Okay. The word hmm. Orient in occultism is derived from the East. It means literally from the East. Orient means from the East. And so when you're learning about Aleister Crawley and how he opened up what's called a channel of magic is he opened it up through his orientation. And they tell you right there that he does it through his mind, through the right-hand side of the brain. That when he's orienting the channel of magic, he's opening it up through his right side of the brain. And you can go to the Lima website, like thelima.org, 
And they have the whole story on it right there about what Orient means, how it's opening up a magical channel through the right side of your brain. uh, Yeah, I mean, and there's probably just so much depth to getting into that and where it all came from. Because it's not like Aleister Crowley invented it. It, He's just studying it. And you go, where's the origin of it? And you find out that all of these religions are Oriental religions at the end of the day, in a way. There's the Western traditions, there's all that, but there's the ideas of all of this the ancientness of where this all came from is incredible and then it's interesting it's scotland because of the connection between scotland ireland wales and egypt which is another story about the fact that there was like physical connective tissue between east and west there's whole missing chapters of where this all came from but in the end regardless of all that it gets pretty twisted when you dive into the details think about it they learned this from nature all the symbols All the everything came from nature. The kanji looks, a lot of them look like birds and animals. Um, And look at what the Egyptians did. They were mixing like half God, half God, half man, half human, like different parts into these symbols. But the symbol now, it's not just this is the word, like, like in English, this is the word apple, like that's what it is. The, The symbol now allows you to have a relationship with it and interpret it a bit. And that's probably why there's 101 versions of love is they're trying to also say there's a uniqueness to you as well. There's a standard and then there's a uniqueness. And so you're looking at a symbol. It's like an ink blot. You know those ink blots Mm -hmm. where when I look at it, I see something that's in my subconscious and you look at it and you see something in your subconscious. Meanwhile, it's just like a a blank slate that we're all looking at. Um, In a lot of ways, that's what it was. And then this brings in an interesting thing was did you ever get into Julian Jaynes no. and the story of the bicameral mind? I think it's Julian Jaynes. Is it the right author? Oh, I'm not mixing it up. But the, the bicameral mind theory that he had, no. where he basically theorized that the reason why humans gravitated towards these crazy cults and these really freaky out-of-the-box religious ideas was that we were desperately searching after a certain point of time for the voice of God. Because at a certain time in history, we lost connection to literally the voice of God, which is basically a stronger Wi-Fi connection to God. Now, it's not like you're hearing, you're not hearing God speaking English into your brain. Your brain's translating it, but it's translating the, 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 the energy, the photon, whatever it is through the right brain, and then you're speaking what God told you. So basically, to me, I look at it as he was discovering that there was like a pre-bicameral period where humans were very integrated and connected to nature, and we had a direct Wi-Fi connection to the universal flow, like direct. It was like loud, like you could literally hear voice. It was you. They didn't know it was them speaking in their head, but they were translating the radio signal, okay? Mm -hmm. Something happened to human consciousness where human consciousness got split and we essentially became schizophrenic beings where there was a discohesion between the left and right brain probably produced by trauma or something else we could speculate about that now it lessened our ability to communicate and hear the voice of God or the gods, meaning nature and the the course and the signal of all things. Well, Bill Donahue said at one point he goes, If you want to hear the electrical current of your body to understand this, close your eyes, plug your ears as deep as you can, and just listen 
And even though your ears are plugged, you're going to hear a roar, a rumble, a frequency. You're going to hear it. That was probably the that blaring sound you heard, Josh, when you went into that state. All you probably did was just like that magnified. The voice of God that the ancients used to have that we eventually lost, you were able to connect to because you were out of the firewall that shut that off. And so this is the theory anyways. And when you put it all together, he's like, only a living being can hear that sound. And guess what tone that sound makes when you do this? Oh, exactly. And that is, and then, and then you go to the creation myths. How many creation myths from around the world talk about how creation was sung into existence or came into existence by way of a song or music or something like that, a frequency, a rate, a vibration. And that gets you into what's that science called? Uh, cement? No, uh, it's where they take plates and they Cymat put sand or cymatics. If you get into cymatics after listening to what I just told you, it makes perfect geometrical structures when you hit certain resonance and it hits the plate and vibrates at that plate. It's the thing about the water crystals, the water particles, uh, the snowflakes, Emoto. the whole yeah. thing. Dr. Emoto, you start putting all that shit together with what I just said there. It brings a whole new dimension to what we're yeah. reading about in these ancient texts, right? It's yes. just incredible. Yes, David, have you yeah. seen the cymatics experiment where they play the ohm? Uh, maybe not that one specifically. Do you have a video? I could send one to you later after. Oh, please. Uh, I love this shit. So I, I want to get into this more. This Dude, uh, can I spoil it or do you want to just check it out? Spoil no, it. no, spoil it. Go ahead. Because okay. I've seen a lot of them. So, yeah. Dude. So they play an ohm to the plate. What they do is to get a metal plate, they put sand on it, they play a frequency, and it'll make a complex geometric pattern. Well, they played the ohm, and it made an ellipse shape. The ellipse, no huh? way. Yeah. What does that mean to you? The eye. It's kind oh, of the like eye. eye. But uh, I don't know. Like the Luminous, eye of God or something? God. Yeah. Yep. The ellipse. That's incredible. Like, just the fact that that works... And it makes perfect geometrical structures. Okay, so then. Oh, oh I, go ahead. I, real quick, before you move on, yeah. I saw two. I saw two pictures of the ocean where you could see a cymatic pattern on the ocean, at, like how the waves form. You could even see them kind of, um, perpend, perpend, uh, be like perpendicular lines to each other and create right. patterns like on a larger scale on the ocean. Actually, by oh, like wow. the vibration of the Earth itself is the theory. Oh, I think I was thinking of another video where it was dolphins blowing bubbles and somebody did that like dolphins or whales blowing bubbles. I think it was dolphins and they were tracking it. And when the bubbles would come up, they were coming up in these like amazing patterns mm. and you just real, what it is is like, you just go think of the Fibonacci, think of all this stuff, right? Sacred geometry. That's what we're talking about is that there's a pattern. There's a language going through nature. And we are the vehicle that we can actually tune into it in a few different ways. We can see it where our, it's oh. like we did this, I think last time, Josh, with the Pink Floyd uh, prism, okay. where you have what's known as like the white light, which is like the, the light that the naked eye can't see. It starts in a white light, but when it hits a crystal, it refracts the light color spectrum. And then when it's in the color spectrum, then the human eye can pick it up. And so there's an analogy there that the white light is what um oh walter russell one of the great geniuses like another nikola tesla uh he wrote a book called the secret of light mm. 
if you ever read it and he he intimated this so he uh it's it's oh, his dude, oh, walter russell oh i've read walter all russell. this shit. no no i've read this yeah yeah so he's he's like he had the scientific breakdown of everything he has all the sketches and shit i've got like a bunch of it's his books polymath yeah that my matt, matt presti the guy i was telling you about he yeah. ran the walter russell museum oh no shit and Walter Russell was the one that did a sculpture of Mark Twain and all those guys. Like they were all like these, these enlightened guys. And anyways, he wrote about the secret of light and it's a mix of science and mysticism. Mm -hmm. It's left brain and right brain. And he saw, he had these kind of experiences like you're talking about Josh. And he saw the patterns behind everything. And he explains what light is. And he breaks down the opening part of this book. He's like, remember in the Bible where God said, God is light or I am light and you are light. The whole book just goes from there and he breaks it down. And then he has these like mystical poetry side by side to science. And it's such a crazy book because if you understand, if you heard what we just talked about in this show and then read that book, your mind is going to explode out of your skull at this point, because you're going to realize that he talks about it as, the undifferentiated light. Right. So that white light is the undifferentiated light. It's just pure. It's like what you're saying where God, that, that God force or whatever, or spirit or the German mystics would call it Geist, whatever word you want. That is all knowledge and all experience. So it of itself can't experience because of that. Cause it eliminates everything. Cause it's just everything. So that's the undifferentiated light. So in order for, and this physically happens, it differentiates when it goes through a conduit, which works well with crystals, prim prisms, certain elements, minerals, um, silica, and you go, it goes through the prism and then it comes out as all these colors. Now we can connect to it. And that's your three dimension, but the white light would be like four dimension, right? right. If you want to use that language and that's God. And so when it's telling you, you are light, I am light. The kingdom of heaven is within. It's telling you, you are a conduit for this right. light, which John, is God. John 1, 5, for anybody out there. This is a message we have heard and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And then there is another scripture that I found. And I I'm going to pull it up really quick because this is this just takes this to the next level. Um, of how we look at it. So let me just quickly, I just got to grab, I did this bit in uh, my Truth Warrior Premium, The Children of Light. I did a whole thing on this. Oh yeah. And um, I just want to quickly pull that, hold on, I just got to <coughs> find it. Open recent, Children of Light. Let's get the right scripture verse here. So yeah, so just a, a quick breakdown of how that light works. So how white light is split into a rainbow. Most light that we interact with is the form of white light, which contains many or all of these wavelength ranges. That's all it is. Shining white light through a prism causes the wavelengths to bend at slightly different angles due to optical refraction. The resulting light is split across the visible color spectrum, and this is what causes a rainbow with airborne water particles acting as the refractive medium. So if the airborne water particles are acting as a refracted medium of a rainbow and your body is made up mostly of water and you are a crystalline structure, you're a refractive medium. What the hell do you think you are? Born I'm not telling the you. king of angles, angles, <laughs> angles and angels. Okay. So your soul is photon. You are an electrical element operating a piece of equipment called the body. That equipment runs on electricity and chemicals, and it can only respond to such. 
which means that any Holy Spirit coming into you, any Jesus coming into you, any God coming into you can only be one thing, electricity and photon. And if you wish to go to that parallel place, that you can only go there through electricity or photon. So it's just like trying to give a scientific explanation to what religion has been banging its head trying to explain. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that verse about darkness. Hold on. Where's the darkness? There we go. Uh, is that it? Okay, well, here it is from Goethe. So, or Goethe, Goethe is the right way. He was the one of the top minds that he studied light and he studied what happens in the soil with plants and tree roots and things like that. Because his curiosity was when we see a tree, we're seeing the result. We're not seeing the cause, right? We're just seeing the tree grew out of something. Well, where did it grow out of? Let's look into that. Oh, it grows out of darkness. And there's the idea that, well, how could there be light in the darkness? And what's all this discussion in religion about light and darkness and all that? Well, he says this, light and darkness, brightness and obscurity, or if a more general expression is preferred, light and its absence. So he's, it's not like darkness, is, it's just light and its absence, are necessary to the production of color. Color itself is a degree of darkness. I am part of the part that at first was all part of the darkness that gave birth to the light, that superlicious light, which now disputes with mother night, her ancient rank in space, and yet cannot succeed. No matter how it struggles, it sticks to matter and can't get free. So basically what he brings out and he does these light experiments where he proposed, he actually opposed the Newtonian theory of colors and managed to show that there are in fact more colors in the spectrum than Newton had recognized, which he illustrated in his famous color wheel. Goethe's theory is that color arises through the interplay between light and darkness, which can in fact be easily shown by flooding with light or withdrawing it altogether. The result is the same. Nothing can be seen. So he just goes through and he, and he shows all these images where let's say you take, um, uh, he did this color wheel and you put the color wheel on with light and then you put it on a dark background, the colors change. So he's talking about a deeper meaning here. Now, just for people that might go, what is he gone to the dark side of the force? He's not talking about the moral, um, imaginative allegory that we use for light and darkness being an equivalent to good and evil. Okay. He's talking about physical darkness and physical light right. and the properties therein. And it only makes sense that light comes from something. And he's saying it comes out of the dark. And I think the reason we got all turned off by light and darkness as humans is because of our experience in the natural world. Think of ancient man and woman um, who were living in nature without electricity. So before electricity, what the hell was life about back then? Survival, you're out in the elements, and especially before any kind of advanced civilization. So at night, that's when it's dark and we can't see worth a shit. And there's also, it's cold, you're exposed to the elements, and that's when the predators come out, is at night. So nighttime was looked at as the adversary, and it was the adversary of the light. And there was this beautiful metaphor happening every day and every night where they would see the sun come up and win over the darkness. And when the sun came out, it brought photosynthesis, it brought warmth, it brought vision and light. It was more of the color spectrum was visible to the human eye. And therefore, the light saved mankind from darkness. 
So that was the metaphor was just nature right, happening right. right there. But you also have a, a duality to this. Go to Genesis 1-3, and this is what I've always talked about. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. As in, there's one eternal light. God saw that this light was good, and he separated, and now you have two, light and darkness. So the darkness came from the light. But what could this light be? Is this the physical light, or is this the light of the soul, which grows... Well, is it the light of the soul that observes reality, learns Hmm. about it, and advances because I learn how to use fire? The soul observes reality. I observe the pattern. I see fire. Oh, fire's warm. That's the light of the soul. So Hmm. the the question is, is there's this duality here. There's the physical light, but there's that darkness. And then inside, there's the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness. And neither one of them are bad. Or good. It's they're all there. They're there. I just don't want people to get mixed up between the right. two, thinking that when you say darkness, like you're talking about like the dark side of the force in Star Correct. Wars We're or not. evil or and, you know, it's not that. We use it as a metaphor because darkness means ignorance metaphorically. I wish I had the book can't here. See, I have a right? Manly P. Hall book and it he talks about um the Rosicrucian perspective of the darkness of Saturn of darkness of how they look at it. And he, he comes out and says plainly. It's not evil. People who pervert this as evil have no idea what they're talking about. But the darkness, he he claims that the darkness is the real light. Right, because it's the source. That's and that's what Goethe's saying yeah. as a as a philosopher. And then here, because everything right in the Bible, from, everything bursts from the darkness. Your womb there inside you the mother's womb. There's no light. The seed in the ground. There is no light. It's only darkness. Everything bursts from the darkness. And that you just wrapped it up that with the tree roots and everything else. And he found there was this amazing structure of like life happening in the dark. And then he's like, what if I could show you? And he would bring the other philosophers because he was the father philosopher for Schelling, for uh, all these other philosophers in Germany. And he would bring them in and show them experiments where he was showing people how light actually works in the darkness underground. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. But anyways, here's the scripture verse that kind of made me go interesting. Matthew 6.23. Because you know about let thy eye be single and you body be full of light. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the release of melatonin by the pineal gland. Well, this is saying about the darkness. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, a lot of people are conflating this by reading it as a moral thing. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the evil thing, darkness. But this seems to me if you look at it from this perspective, that they're speculating on this phenomena, that you have the inner darkness and there's the external darkness and the light, and there's a relationship between the two. And so I just thought, wow, that is fascinating. And then you go, all right, now that we know about the rainbow and the color spectrum and light and darkness and how it works, read the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat again as a metaphor. And you will see that Joseph is the sun in the story and the coat of many colors is the light spectrum of the sun rays animated through the human being. Mm. So just another esoteric way to look at these same things brings a whole new dimension to it. And there's proofs in philosophy. There's proofs in science. And I think if we were to look at the sum total of human knowledge that we have gained on this, we're getting a lot closer to the real nature of reality. And um, it's just all this dogma and all these traps that get in the way of our ability to see it. 
right? Because again, we only see what we want to see. Our brain can select and edit reality for us, right? So there's another issue is like our perspective can be limited in so many ways. Right. So um, yeah, what a fascinating mind trip of a subject then. I love this. This is this is fascinating. And I wanted to play this video. So let me let me push this over like this. We're gonna play this. Uh, let me share it on the Zoom. And I'll just mute here. You're fine. Yeah. I'm gonna go into here like this. We're gonna blow this up. There's your own. So this is Stephen Halperin. If you know who he is, he makes a lot of these uh, music and sound things. But this is him playing the ohm sound, and we're gonna fast forward just a little bit. And this is, I think, this is like, yep, there you go. the womb of God. I mean, imagine that that's, that's pretty profound when you start looking at it like that. I was muted, but I was like, what the hell? That's amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> and think about, did you hear the harmony? Did you actually, yeah. cause I have a real, I have a real ear. My dad, uh, he, I got it from him. He plays guitar by ear. I can hear a song and play it on the piano. Like I've always had that. Right. So I'm very picky about tones and music and that. And I love this shit. This shit calms me. If I ever feel anxious guys, oh, just God. watch cymatic videos and like waves and shit. But anyways, um, that sound notice that it's kind of messy, the sand, when it starts the ohm and right. then when the harmony comes in the more the voice the more it harmonizes the more the shape becomes perfect right. perfect it's a vagina it's a vagina it's a cell what do it's you think egg. is creating it's an, it's egg. an egg like it's the base frequency of all life and all matter yeah you know and then oh this is the one this was the quote i was thinking about walter russell hold on here it is uh quote uh desire will okay this one is so good i just have to find it uh yeah here it is <laughs> all right so just to sum up everything we've just been talking about here's the great walter russell the electric energy which motivates us is not within our bodies at all it is part of the universal supply which flows through us from the universal source with an intensity set by our desires and our will. Hmm. Now, if you read that quote a few times, you're going to pick up a few things that I think the new age movement and most of religion forgot, which is that you are a body that is a beautifully made uh, machine. And I got a quote from Tesla to, to bring that in, but it's a conduit for this electric energy that motivates us that isn't really within our bodies. Our body's conducting it. It's part of that universal supply. It's the universal source. But here's the here's where free will comes in. 
that source field is set at an intensity that is directed by our desire and our will. Now, when you hear a philosopher like Walter Russell talking about desire, please don't conflate that with like the car the carnal lust, whatever you lust. think the bad lust you know the the whatever you think is bad about that he's talking about real desire and there's actually a theory that because of all of our programming we're actually afraid of pleasure and we're afraid of desire we've that's been part of the programming we have a fear of it we have a and I think it's because we're tapping into literally an energy field that's extremely powerful mm -hmm. that if not controlled properly, that desire can become something that is quite negative. Like it can blow out of proportion. Dude, so we're like, oh, and then of course everything was that. Do you get research on that? Because I, that I've actually written about that in my own journal. Really? I, I don't have research. I'm just telling you what I'm extrapolating from Russell about what he's saying is like, oh, and about the whole thing about uh, the, the theory. We talk about it on Unslaved a lot, and I just have to pull up the psychologists and the people that thought yeah. about it. Um, yeah, the theory either that way. is that we have this 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 desire that is an actual motivation towards these things that that they're possible, they're there, they're within our reach, but we systematically um, stop ourselves from doing it through various different things in our life. We sabotage our own journey because we're not afraid it's not necessarily fearful or afraid of the power but we know what we will become and we know what we can become if it's not controlled i've written about right. this yeah yeah there's and that's there's something to that and you go well what if that desire that we have and this is where wilhelm reich gets into the orgone and the sexual energy and everything else mm -hmm. um even though some of it i still don't understand and it's but i get where they're trying to go with it where they're saying your desire is the signal of creation so there's a reason you have desire and your desire is filtered through your mind and who you are and where you're at. And so if it's, if the, if the, if the lens is dirty or imagine you're, you're trying to look at things through glasses that are all smudged up, then it's going to be cut off from what it's, if the potential of it is. And I would think of like fear and self-negation and self-loathing and all the programming from the world can be like the crud that fills up those lenses. So you can't really tune it properly. And that's where we get distorted desire that goes towards, this is what these elites the are. They're just, yeah. yeah and, and not even just that those are evil, but just that it, it becomes evil if you start to like become a predator out of it, become a, you're addicted to just sensual pleasure. But real pleasure, real desire is something from the soul. It's something from the deepest part of you to create something. It's like what Bruce Lee would talk about with your potential. He was always talking about actualizing your potential. That's what he was. But that's what he means is like you have you to have the desire. Your potential. But you have to have the desire to create before you can create. Otherwise, your creation is going to be shit because you won't put the energy in to create anything worth having. So you need to desire it. You need to see it. So... And then your will is the method by which you create with the desire because it takes a lot of will to go into nature and turn nothing into something and to create, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when he's saying that the source field that you are accessing, the light, the whole thing that everything we've been talking about is set by your desire and your will, that's the best description of free will I've ever heard in my life. And the materialists will never understand it because they look at it mechanistically. Whereas he's talking about it as you can study the mechanism and the filter and the conduit all you want, but that's not the be all and end all. That's just like 
studying the piano without ever playing it. You're just studying the chords and the, and the mathematics and the way it works. But until it's like a Beethoven sits down or, a, you know, um, some of these great pianists sit down and just create with it, you don't even know what you're dealing with. And then what does the piano or a guitar do? Just like that ohm and the cymatics. When you play a piano and you hit the wrong chords or the wrong keys, it sounds bad. It sounds off, right? Yeah. But when you hit the harmony, oh, I play it. And it, it that's where I have out of body. It's just like when you're in the zone, you forget time. That's the cymatic ohm coming through that expression. That's what any art form is. And that is you creating with the divine universal force and setting it by your intention and your will. That's fucking mind-blowing. Come on. Dude, it is. It's Yeah, dude. I'm just in awe right now. <laughs> we figured out the mysteries of the universe tonight. John. We do this every time. <laughs> we do this all the time. I always every time that we so have much a show, talking, it's like we're either getting yelled at and belittled and, and, and put down or we're discovering the secrets of the universe. Either way, we come out humble. It's all it's all learning, man. I don't care. I'm here for this. I'm here as an explorer, and what an absolute pleasure it was to go through this. I've learned a this lot. Awesome. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. We should do it again sometime. We'll have to save the the Antarctic uh, discussion for another time. We can, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Sure. Um, thank you, guys. For everybody yeah. out there, we're uh, we're gonna still do an after dark chat. Um, so for anybody on the socialredpill.com, socialredpill.com. Uh, the link will be put out there. If you're not, if you're already a member, just go to events, social red pill chat at the bottom. There's probably people already in there. Um, I'll be joining in about 15, 20 minutes. I just got to go get another drink, take a piss, that type of stuff. Everybody else is welcome to join. Um, if we get more people than we can handle, we'll go to a different chat room, but everybody's welcome to join. Uh, we'll be doing that and it'll be a late night. I'm drinking a few beers. So you guys can join us there. socialredpill.com If you're not a member, Free to join. You can support us with a subscription. If not, thank you for all the rumble chats and uh, super chats that came out tonight. All the pills on Unpilled uh, on and on DLive as well. Much love, respect. God bless all of you guys. And we will see you next time. Have a good night. Take care. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it is indeed brutal. And uh, they call me Eye Patch McCain. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's, I, I haven't, look. Frankly, uh, if you look at the media, where the media is a closed media, we don't have an open free media anymore. They don't want to hear anything. They don't write about it. It's a, it's collusive. It's uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it. It all happened during this period of time. It happened just before the election. They wouldn't talk about certain subjects that you know better than anybody, Michael. And uh, you know that's the beginning of communism.